This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Corner to Corner, which is a new show that I'm going to be putting on my YouTube channel for the foreseeable future. And it's a very unique show because for the first time, I have a regular contributor. This is going to be, every episode, me and Mr. Tom Vassell of the Dice Tower getting together for about an hour and just talking about games. For now, we're planning on doing two episodes a week and... The episodes on Tuesdays will appear on Tom's Dice Tower YouTube channel, and the ones on Friday will be on my Rotto Runs Through channel. Now, if you don't care about any of that YouTube nonsense, don't worry. All the episodes will be appearing here in the Rotto Talks Through podcast feed. And for now, my plan is every week, since there's two episodes, just to bolt them both together and give you two hours of me and Tom yammering on. And uh, we'll see how this evolves in the future. And as always, if you have any questions, be sure to send them to questions at rotto.com and I'll get to them in the next podcast with Jen. Hey, wait a minute. Jen has been a regular contributor to this podcast forever. What am I talking about? I should have said the first non-Jen regular contributor to the podcast, Mr. Tom Vassell. Right. I can't avoid goofs even when I'm just trying to do an off-the-cuff intro. And uh, let's wrap this up and get going with episodes one and two of Corner to Corner. Oh, and you can't see the image of what it looks like. It's Corner to Corner because he's in Florida. I'm in Washington State. If you look at a map of the United States, we're in opposite corners of of the, of the map, and that's where that comes from. Okay, bye. Hey, everybody, I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody, it's me, Rotto. And you may, whoops, somehow I'm... Oh, no! Sorry, I left my own YouTube channel on, and it started playing in my back ear. Well, (laughs) that's, I was telling, uh, there's one thing I'm really enjoying about everyone being stuck at home, and everyone is streaming and doing video now. And suddenly, I'm a master at it. So many people, all these teachers, so many people are like, how do I do this? How do I get on the internet? And I'm like, oh. Yeah. But then they tuned into this one and saw you totally forgot to not channel the sound directly into your ear. But that's still Speaking master. Speaking of which, if the audience could let me know, I'm actually flying earbudless right now. Uh, Tom and I did a sound check before we started, and it seemed fine. But in case I'm doubling up, could anybody let us know? So, folks, what is this? It's a crossover here. Um, this is the Dice Hour. If you're watching this, you know the channel, of course. And Rado has his own channel. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, hi. Yeah, I uh, have a channel called Rado Runs Through. You can find it at YouTube.com slash Rado. I assume at some point Tom will, if he has not already, put the link it, down in the show notes. It's in the description, and, yes. Oh, speaking of which, by the way, Tom, you did put the link in the show notes and you misspelled Rado. In fact, I have it misspelled in the title here which you couldn't see, and someone just pointed that out. But it's yep. done. It's fixed. 
<laughs> One of the most common things about my show is people misspell my name, Rado. Uh, my focus is on trying to capture the feel of what a game looks like. I don't really do reviews per se. Instead, I walk through the experience of a game and spend a lot of time, some people might argue too much time, articulating all the thought processes that go into every tactical strategic decision you make. And I do that so that you, the viewer, can decide if it's a game worth picking up. Because hopefully, by the time you watch all my videos, you feel almost like you've played it yourself. And so you can make a more informed decision. That's really what I'm all about. And so, just so you know, this is going to be a show that's going to be half the time on the Dice Tower, and the other half, it will be on Rado's channel. So you'll see us on both places. And in fact, we're just this show is going to be one that we don't do all the time and as the days go by. But right now, while we're all stuck at home for a while, we're going to be doing it twice a week for the at least very near future and that might change, even though I, I apparently... I should say, when Tom first broached this topic, there was nothing about twice a week. And I said, oh, sure, that sounds fine. By well, weekly, sure. Or, but then all of a sudden, at the last minute, oh, by the way, can you be here Friday as well? Okay. Well, I also, um, before when we first broached the topic, life was somewhat normal at Indeed. the time. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things have, have changed. Um, yeah, so I, you said you're... People are asking about why you're playing Gloomhaven, but I think there's an error there. Uh, indeed, yes. Uh, this is no Gloomhaven. There's no uh, ship at sea sinking as we try to fight off these completely new creatures that can be found in Frosthaven, which is what you're looking at at the moment. Man, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped about Frosthaven, uh, just to, <laughs> just to see it. I think you know, but I've, I've deliberately. I won't even watch your preview right away because I'll just wait till it comes out just to get a little bit at a time, you know, to, to, to jump into it. Well. So anyway, like we said, we'll be back in on Friday at two o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 11 Pacific Standard Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you missed this one, which doesn't make any sense because you wouldn't be watching now then. <laughs> So this is going to be a show that evolves and changes. If nothing else, I wanted to do it because we definitely have different opinions. And no matter how much we may argue back and forth, I think we get along pretty well. Despite I think so. Despite yes. the internet commentators. So, yes, as soon as the screen's off, the fisticuffs came out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, so I, gonna... I, uh, I have been, I've been a fan of Tom's forever. I mean, he was part of the... Uh... Inspiration for me to actually, because I figured, hey, if this guy can do it, I can certainly do it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and it's weird. More often than not, Tom and I agree. We agree on a lot of stuff. It's just certain games he just has no taste for, unfortunately. I, I don't disagree with that part. And and the fact is, at the end of the day, we both want to see people playing games. And at the end of the day, I think we both don't care if people like games that we don't or yeah. vice versa. So we're going to do two different, uh, we're going to do two segments today and then at the end we'll take your questions. But for the first one, we're going to go through Board Game Geek. So if, if you look at Board Game Geek right now, there is a ton of, um, different, uh, mechanisms here. Jeff Engelstein put all these together. He added these in and you can see a whole pile of them here. And I think, it will take us many weeks to go through all these, but we're going to start <laughs> here with action drafting, going in somewhat alphabetical order, and just take a look at these. So and, as and, you, and you're and we're skipping acting as a topic. 
the true opener. Well, sure, but that's because, um, hang on, I'm, we're um, live, Tom. I know we're live, and you know what? I just managed to take us off the screen, and I can't figure out how to get us back on. Uh, I think people have had enough of this anyway. Yeah, okay. Well, you're just, they're listening to us as we talk here. <laughs> but anyway, so, yes, you don't like acting, so we decided to just jump into yeah. straight I up here. I played Spyfall, and that's about it. So I wouldn't have had much to say, quite frankly. Okay, so here we go. We're looking at these, and I'm going to... How would you, how do you think we should sort these each time we do it? Should we sort them by board game geeks rank or by the number of people who've oh, I played them? Rank. But that's really interesting. Um, arguably it's more popular based on the number of people, isn't it? Let me do, let me resort by that. Where are we? Well, which one you pick? I don't no. care which one we sort by. Um, I'll go for, I'll, well, let's go for owned. I, I think you're right. Actually, ultimately, that's a more telling metric than, what a subset of players have actually rated it. So yeah, owned, which puts the number one title as a title that by the site's own definition is not action drafting, namely Agricola. How are they getting action drafting out of that? Well, um, specifically, players select from an assortment of actions in a shared pool. The available actions are limited in quantity, and once a player has chosen an action, it may not be chosen again. Note, worker placement is a subset of this category, and games with that mechanism should be placed in that category instead. Somebody did not get the memo and left Agricola rated as one. Because obviously it's a worker placement game, and worker placement is a form of action drafting. It is literally action drafting, but just with a physical component that is the driving force of the draft. I'm really trying to think of a way that this is action drafting. And the only way I could see it is possibly they consider the fact that there's so few. Sp no, because if you pick an action, no one else can do it. Yeah, exactly. It's, so, um, yeah, uh, somebody mislabeled it. I, in fact, have already gone in and edited the database <laughs> and have a pending change saying this should clearly not be here. And I cited their own de definition. And so by the time a week from now, this shouldn't be on the list. And we should move on to the next one, which is a true and probably the uh, ultimate example of action drafting, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico That's is probably why Jeff made this topic, this uh, particular heading. That's true. I have to say, I wish more games would do this. I really like this mechanism. Yeah. I, I think it's an entertaining one. It is, you pick the action and everyone else does it, but you get a bonus for doing it. Or at least that's how Puerto Rico does it. Yeah. And I just saw, I was looking at a picture. Apparently, Aliyah's making a 20th anniversary edition of Puerto Rico for Didn't next. Didn't they already do that? No, they did no. 10th anniversary. Yes. Yeah, so a was a edition. Oh, yeah. That's a great edition. I'm, I'm yeah, really yeah. glad to have it. So, yeah, Puerto Rico, that's not the highest rated one, actually, but definitely a lot of people own it. You have to imagine, think about this, 59,000 people on BoardGameGeek say they own this game. And this is a a gamer game, not like Catan or yeah. something like that. That's pretty yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. Then we have... And it's also a game that officially doesn't support two players either, um, which you know is a limiter for a game's potential market as well. Uh, it is great. I had the uh, Deluxe Edition 2, but I'm very sad I don't have it anymore because there was a time when it was, you know, completely gone and, uh, you know, people would pay upwards of 150 bucks for it. 
And so I sold mine, quite frankly, because I just couldn't justify keeping it on my shelf. I felt I was spreading the wealth and ensuring somebody else could have some joy while I uh, made a little bit of money off of it. But I do miss it now. And I am glad to hear that another deluxe version is coming back. That is actually very good news. So what do you, what did, I didn't say deluxe. I don't know. Aaliyah's, oh, okay. Aaliyah's version of deluxe. Indeed. Is not quite the deluxe that I'm, 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 I just look at it and go normal or maybe we'll, we'll even less it, than that. We'll, we'll call it deluxe-ish, perhaps. Okay. I think might be a good way to put it. You know, actually looking at this list, the one that's most interesting to me, actually scroll down a little bit, is, um, In the Year of the Dragon, which is a fantastic Stefan Feld game. Uh, you know, and it has that same basic idea. Look, here's all the actions that are laid out in front of you. They're represented by tiles. Players take turn grabbing them. That determines what you're going to do in a given round. The thing that I'm so impressed by, it, I mean, this is probably the best use of action drafting I've seen, is the fact that to scale the game down to work well with two players, which for folks who don't know, that's really my focus, is two-player gaming. What they do is every round, I forget what it is, I think there's five actions or six, or I think it was five action tiles, maybe seven. It was an odd number. And... Uh, a slightly larger than half of the percentage are randomly put into a pool and the other half are put into another pool. So um, there's this amazing tension because, oh my gosh, I desperately need to do that action this turn, but I can see it ended up in the pool of the action that you want. And so unlike another game, well, unlike Puerto Rico, which originally didn't even support two-player gaming because there was just so much stuff and they didn't really scale the game down, uh, Year of the Dragon, because, well, okay, I can take this pool or this pool, and then once I got the pool, I get one action, but I have taken that pool, denied you three other actions, it really ratchets up the tension, and it's a testament to just how great this mechanism is, and it's so flexible, and I am shocked. Since 2007, nobody in the industry has copied this, and this has got to be one of the most simple to implement and brilliant two-player scaling mechanisms I have ever seen. And I don't know why other games don't do it. I guess I'm just putting it into the ear of all publishers. Copy Feld because he knows what he's doing. Also, Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. Mm. <laughs> uh, this one's interesting to me that this is here. Uh, and when you read the back of the book where Christian Peterson talks about things, that one, he said Puerto Rico is something that inspired him. And that uh, completely changed how this game works. I know you haven't played this one no, two player. I haven't and I never will <laughs> that, that's perfectly fine but <laughs> it has that whole Puerto Rico thing where you take an action you do it and everyone else also takes that action it's kind of a fascinating or they take a secondary action yeah um what other ones in here there's a lot on this list that I would argue just aren't really <laughs> well it's a it's it's a new thing with uh board game Geek trying to implement all these things um, you know, it's interesting. Grand Austria Hotel, I wouldn't have thought of Grand Austria Hotel as that. I thought of it as a dice drafting game. But the reality is, to be fair, those dice are associated with those little buckets on the board. So it's really kind of a two-in-one. You're drafting the die and you're getting a access to the space it's on as well, right? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think a lot of times with Board Game Geek that people kind of jam these categories in sometimes like mm -hmm. so far i haven't seen other than let's see other than puerto rico in the year of the dragon and twilight imperium i'm not seeing a lot of games that technically fit this category yeah 
Like, I don't think Barrage fits this category. That's just a straight-up worker placement game. Um, yes, I, I think... Well, and the same is true with Agricola as well. Um, and I think ah. people... I don't know. I mean, worker placement itself is is kind of an odd duck to try to find. Uh, you know, it's always open to a lot of interpretation. Well, New Frontiers but, does, but that's because it is essentially a mix between Puerto Rico and Race for the Galaxy. Speaking mm-hmm. of which... Where's Race for the Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Race Race for the Galaxy, strictly speaking, you and I can both choose to explore. Me choosing explore is not denying you the opportunity to explore. Me choosing to explore when you opted to was a dumb move on my part because I should have piggybacked off of you, but we can both do it. Um, you know, and the, and the definition yeah. of this, but the draft means, okay, once explore is gone, it's gone. No one else can do it. So. I, I think that does make sense. Uh, and I, so I think it probably a lot of the Puerto Rico inspired games, like, um, oh, what is the Tasty Minstrel card game? Uh, Eminent oh, Domain. That, that's what I was going to say. I feel like Eminent Domain and Glory to Rome, do they not fit in this category too? No, because me choosing to do something doesn't keep it, uh, you know, doesn't keep you from it. I mean, it really goes back to that Puerto Rico. Here's what are they? The five actions, the, uh, the produce and the settle and the ship. And once somebody does that, that's it. Nobody else can do this for that round until all of them come back, until everything's been drafted away. Citadels, of course, is a is a great example. Oh, or but is Citadels? Man, I haven't played that in forever. Citadels, you're a character, and you yeah. take the action, but nobody else takes that action. Yeah. And it's also very cool because there's lots of interaction between the. If if I take this action, I'm really in danger because somebody else takes the other action. Then I'm then they're going to come for me because they'll steal from me and stuff like that. Um, Someone in chat says Rising Sun, so that might work. Oh, Village, Village is what is it? Oh, Village is worker placement, isn't it? No, it's well, it's every round all those cubes come out of a bag and they're different colors, and the colors are kind of action dependent. But the color, the color cubes let you go to different places. It's really a worker placement game where you draft your workers and then you use them. So I don't know. I mean, I think there might not be as many pure examples of this as we think. So this is a wide open thing here, folks, to do. Maybe Coloma? Uh, no, because again, you, you and I could both go to the same wagon wheel, spoke, and in which case things just went bad for both of us. That's true. Yeah. That's a kissing cousin, at least, I think. Yeah. Um, well, certainly certainly inspired by, in the same way Race for the Galaxy was inspired by. Yeah, I would really like to see more mechanisms here. Yeah, I do see that this... On here. Speaking of Puerto Rico-inspired games... Okay, come on. San Juan, I just checked the second page. It is not here. And San Juan is Puerto Rico. Sure, but can't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's the same. It's those five tiles. We take turns taking them. All right. Well, either way, I have to say, if you told me a game had this mechanism, my interest level in it would be a nine or ten. That's how much I'd like it, even though it's only in a few games. (laughs) I think it's fascinating. Well, I think it's great because 
I know as a, a, another thing, if your audience doesn't know me very well, I focus on two player gaming. I also focus on gaming that really doesn't have a lot of player versus player stealing from each other, or destroying each other's stuff. But I love interacting with other players and any kind of draft is always going to, you're, you're, I mean, you're on pins and needles every time somebody picks something because what I do so very strongly affects everybody else. And Puerto Rico, the fact that everybody can piggyback off of what I do, you know, it, it's kind of the high watermark for this is so wonderful because then the whole game is mind games. I could choose this, but I know Tom is going to choose it this round. So yes. I should do this other thing and wait for him. And then Tom totally blows it and picks the thing he wasn't supposed to pick. And, uh, you know, and, and those kinds of moments are really great and memorable, but they don't have to be great and memorable because, oh, I kicked your sandcastle down. Uh, so that's why these kind of things just work so well for my wife and me. Yeah, I think that's not a bad way to look at it because if someone in Puerto Rico, for example, takes the role I want, which gives them that benefit, I still get to do it, although yeah. at a lesser ability, and then I still get to pick something on my turn. I still get yep. something cool. And that's always been kind of a thing in games I'd like where I may not get the best thing, but at least I get something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a good category. I think we both agree there should be a lot more games in this category. Personally, I think more people should learn from Stefan Feld, who I believe did it better than anybody else in Year of the Dragon. You didn't actually respond at all. What are your thoughts on Year of the Dragon, Tom? Well, I, I have not... I, no, I haven't played Year of the Dragon. It's one oh of the few gosh. games. Uh, I've read the rules, though. I understand the game. I dislike Notre Dame enough to know that I would not like the punishing aspect of in the Year of the Dragon. There are I'm not a games huge that are more fan. punishing than Year of the Dragon. I mean, it, it, it is it is a game for uh, masochists, basically. But yes. I think that's one of the reasons I love it. <laughs> I that no comment. Um, sure. <laughs> All right. So that's our first category. Our first segment talking about mechanisms for the next one over to Rado. okay well this was an idea i had that i thought would be a lot of fun and it's basically gonna throw this to the audience anybody watching right now live um come up with a topic this is kind of like you know those improv shows or whatever and uh, you know throw a topic at us that tom and i could do a combined top five on uh so you would get the ultimate tom doe top five for whatever it is and uh, i imagine it should probably be game-related, but I guess it could be other stuff. So uh, if anybody has any particular things, uh, it's gotta be you, you interesting, would like though. us to count down. Hmm? I swear if it's a – what would you take on a deserted island? No. Something interesting. <laughs> Tom will exercise uh, some editorial control, I imagine. Um, and also yeah. remember, we got to come up with this stuff on the fly. So we may miss stuff for, that I do with my deep – you know, searching that I do yep. five minutes before we put these together. Yeah. So, well, I got this idea because I have seen Tom in the past, I think on the podcast or, uh, you know, he'll just like go off or in Q and A's, somebody will say, Hey Tom, what are your favorite key lime pies? And he will instantly come up with and rank his top five key lime pies that he's had over the course of his lifetime. And I thought, well, I could do that and we'll see if I can, because I have certainly not tried this before. And um, I see some suggestions are coming in, Tom. So uh, do you see any good ones? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick four good ones, and then Rado will pick the winner of those. So okay, let me see here. Okay, so Sandbox Games, that's a good one. Mm. Uh, dice versions of board games, I like that concept. Oh, um, I mean, you know, X the dice game, yeah, yeah. 
And I think what I'm going to do for this particular one, folks, I'm going to pick board games and maybe one one week I'll pick stuff that's not board games. That way it's easier. Um, top 10 cutest meeples. All right. <laughs> and uh, actually, let me let me rephrase that one. Someone else said top five cutest games. So we'll say cutest games. No, I kind of like the meeples, actually. Oh, I can think of one. <laughs> so I probably shouldn't have chosen that then. Um, and then, um, let me see here. A lot of these are not top five gimmicks in games. All right. So we have gimmicks, gimmicks, cute, cute games, dice versions of board games and, um, sandbox games. Hmm. Those are good choices. Uh, I have to admit, I like gimmicks. Alrighty, so let me put that on the screen here. That right. is from Seth Hale. Alright. The once and for all, 100% infallible, perfect top five board game gimmicks, or gimmicks in board games, right? Yeah, I well, think so. Yeah. I'm gonna start out, uh, my wife would, would never forgive me if I did not give all the love in the world to, uh, Zulk and the Mayan calendar. With the, oh, because of the the wheels, with, yeah, the, the 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 rotating interlocked gears as a means of basically tracking time. Because the reality is, uh, well, it's the, the the toy factor of that game is phenomenal, and it is just really nice. And you make little sound effects as you're locking them into place and all that. But that could have been replicated with just meeples put on a track, and every round you are just moving them from left to right and then taking them off a track. It could have totally been done that way. It must have cost them an arm and a leg to actually produce this game. Um, but it is such a uh, payoff. It is such a wonder. And I know a lot of people dismissed it when it first came out as, oh, look at this gimmick. But the game itself is amazing. And it's an example where the gimmick definitely improves the experience, I think. Do it you agree does. or disagree? I agree that it's a very good gimmick. Uh, my mind has switched on on Zulkin, but it's a lot of it because of that wheel. When I first what? saw the wheel – no, no, no. Listen, when I first saw the wheel, I was super excited. I was like, what? You're going to be spinning the wheel and all these other wheels are spinning. Oh, oh, oh. You wanted a wheel of fortune wheel. Not that's so much a wheel of fortune, but I was thinking more of like if I move this wheel five spaces, it moves this wheel to that and this wheel to that and this wheel to that. And uh, wow. Yeah. And that wasn't what the game was. In fact, the wheel spins one time. And so, wait, wait, wait. Ten minutes later. And, no, and you know what? You it works really well. So uh, it's just that my expectations were skewed. Uh, I've since come around on it and I'm fine. And I'm still waiting for a game that does have all the cogs that move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to get one. Yeah, who builds on that? You're, you're right. Cause I mean, yeah, there's a lot more that could be done with that gimmick. And I, I guess it's just no one's touched it because it'd be way too expensive to make it. Possibly. I don't know. Here's my gimmick. This is one that's used right. a lot now in Kickstarters as an upgrade. Okay. Um, but the more I see it in games, the more I like it, and I can't explain why it's just cool. And that's that UV coating. It's on boxes a lot, but oh, sometimes it's on yeah, the that board is too. Definitely a gimmick. Totally. It's totally unnecessary, and yet it makes the game feel like almost twice as valuable. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. If you don't know no, what, I, know what you're about, talking about, I mean specifically, Stonemeyer's doing that all the time now with their manuals, and you you pick up this manual. And it feels like, wow, this oh, no, should no, be no. read by royalty. No, no, I'm not talking about linen oh, no, finish. Oh, that's linen finish, right? UV coating is when 
you look at the box and part of the the print oh, okay. is raised slightly. It's shinier. It's like mm-hmm. not 3D printing, but it's just a little bit different. Um, it's a little bit raised off. And a lot of companies are making their boxes with this UV coating. You pick them up and you can actually feel where they did it. And it gives it a slight three-dimensional look. And it has no bearing on the game at all. <laughs> but you're saying it works on you? Especially when it's on the board. It makes oh, a sure. board pop for me. I don't know what it is. I I, sh- I shouldn't, you know, be as enamored with it as I am. But it just, it makes me happy. I have to say, for the most part, I, I'm not a particular fan of it because it's a pain. Uh, because you end up creating glare on those things when you're actually trying to film it. <laughs> That's a very unique problem to you and yes, me exactly well, i'm sure everybody's been there sooner or later everybody has this that's problem. that's how i feel sometimes when i get a glossy box i'm like oh yeah. such a pain to shoot on camera <laughs> all right that's a good gimmick that's a good and you're right i mean that's that is totally gimmick i have to admit my gimmick focus is more about game stuff because i mean this is uh, something whenever jan and i play a new game and it has some novel gameplay element, which is basically what she likes calling gimmicks. She just instantly falls in love and just is buzzing about it for a week. So another one, you might disagree. You might not call this a gimmick, but I will call it a gimmick because it, so far, it's been a decade and it has not been anywhere near as successful as it should be. I'm going to talk about the Cube Towers. Uh, ah. and, and then you've got Amerigo. I love them. I love it to death. And... um. I mean, Wallenstein and Shogun are of zero interest to me and Jen because they're ultimately, you know, moving around, area control, fighting everybody for dominance. When Stefan Feld took that idea and completely turned it on its head for Amerigo and turned it into an action selection mechanism where, oh, yeah, I throw this stuff in and because um, I really want to do these. Oh, and they didn't come out. Or these other ones came out. They were thrown into there three rounds ago. Oh, should I do this action instead now? Um, but there's still one more in there. I could wait on that. It's just awesome as a way to, uh, you know, really spice up, uh, you know, and, and create, you know, unexpected outcomes without just saying, oh, well, let's just draw from an event deck or let's just roll some dice and see what the dice tell us. Uh, because, you know, it's like that tower develops a personality. It's like, why are you holding all the yellows? Where are they? You're a monster. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, a real fun one. And honestly, I don't know why you don't see these all the time. They're such, they are so much more interesting and engaging. Just tactile fun to take a bunch of things and drop them in there and, and you get that kind of, you know, pachinko feel. Uh, I would love to see more of those. And I would love to see a transparent one so I could actually see all those cubes. And well, see actually, there is. Right on the edge. There is one. Oh. I believe, yeah, I found it on Board Game Geek. It's called Prospectus. This is from Mr. B Games. It's a stock market style game that it's a stock market in a fantasy world for some reason. Yeah, yeah, about stock market, but it's potion alchemical stuff, right? Yeah, it has a big crystal ball, which is essentially one of these towers. And you can drop the stuff in and some of it falls out and that affects the stock market prices as the game goes by. Yeah, that is awesome. Although, if I recall correctly, that game didn't support two players, which is why I never played it. So it's dead. I don't remember. Well, what about, does Age, I know, I think Age of Dirt does not support two players either. No, it does. But you're right. That's the new one that it just came out, right? I haven't that's played that That's from WizKids. One. Yeah, that one has a, I think that might work with two. Yeah, it's definitely, a, that's a silly game in a sense. Mm-hmm. You're doing action selections and then you throw these little meeples in the tower and the ones that come out, that's how many of the action you get to take. But you're right. There's not many. There's the three yeah. we just mentioned and then 
Uh, we mentioned Shogun slash Wallenstein. And then there's in the year of the Crusades or something like that. It's, it's only in German. And I don't think you would like this game much at all because you're a bunch of crusaders running around and just sacking everything. <laughs> no matter what city you come across, be it a Christian or a Muslim city, you just raid it because you need this stuff. It's very historically accurate, I guess, in that regard. Uh, but it's, it's, it's akin to a war game almost. Yeah. You know what? There is another one coming out and I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember the name of it because I did a video for it when it was on Kickstarter. Uh, I'm looking for it. And there it is. The Stygian Society from Kevin Wilson, designer. Okay. And it's a cooperative game where we, we're each, uh, you know, uh, 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 I know you'd have a problem because we're fairly typical, you know, bog standard fantasy characters. But um, every round, the actions we're doing get thrown into the tower. And the one that comes out, uh, you know, indicates what type of actions we're going to be able to do. And it's a cooperative game. And... Um, you know, you know, if you're a wizard, you happen to have more white cubes, which uh, indicate magic spells. So you might throw, I'm going to only throw a couple of melee attacks and a bunch of white cubes in here. But then they all got stuck in the tower, but we're fighting a monster that is only weak against magic. Why did you fail, Tom? You're the worst wizard ever. When in I fact am. it's the tower's fault. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I think, well, fingers crossed it'll be coming out this year because who knows what's going on. Not that we're going there. Um, but yeah, that's another one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so maybe Edge it will be darkness. Long. Maybe it will become a standard as common as dice rolling because why wouldn't it? Edge of Darkness. No, that doesn't actually count because they oh. always come out. You just don't know where they're going to come out. But that is a good gimmick though. What do you think about that? I think, if I recall correctly, didn't you say Edge of Darkness was just too much? For it me, like dial it back like by 20% or something. Well, they did dial it back. They, they, uh, from what I understand, Edge of Darkness was his original game, and they split off the card part of it oh, and of made course. Mystic yeah. Veil. That's a gimmick in of itself, by the way, the clear cards. Um, but yeah, the tower itself this is this really huge tower, and you drop a cube in, and it comes out in one of these three spots. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't know if the size of that tower is worth the excitement of seeing those cubes come out. Hmm. But the new you're right, they're reminding me. I, I, we actually really enjoyed that too. When Jen saw that tower for the first time, her eyes just just lit up. Um, just because, again, the, the tactile fun nature of it, that kind of casino slot machine feel that it has. You know, the fact that it makes noise. Board games are generally, even the most exciting and dramatic of them, very quiet. That's the they truth just of sit it. there. Silently, not moving. So anything that can bring that kind of, and you know, kids games have this all the time. Your loop and Louis and whatnot. But games for gamers, why don't we get to have fun? Well, we do stuff? actually. The newest thing about this whole dice tower, the cube tower thing is actual dark tower. The new dark tower is a cube tower and it has noise and yeah, sound yeah, effects yeah. and yeah. lights. And it's a, it's a tower that actually evolves because you take doors off of it as the game progresses. So there's more places for the skulls to fall out. In fact, I, I played this and I would say a good 50% of my enjoyment was that tower, which is good mm. because it's the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if they, if it is the name of the game. They better get it right. So how about I'm going to move my mic yeah. back so that we're a little bit closer in volume. Okay, um, how about for my next gimmick, I already mentioned this game just previously, but the gimmick fascinated me so much, and that's Coloma. 
the magnetic the, wheel the, in the middle. The, oh, the magnets. I don't know what yeah. it was. I sat there. I like stood five feet from it. I threw the magnet at the board to see if I could make it hit and land in that right spot. <laughs> That's so, uh, not how you play the game. I hope that didn't show up in your video. No, I don't know what it was. I just thought it was it was amusing to me. But I hate, 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 hate the little plastic things that you stick in wheels on the yeah, boards. Yeah, and they make the table wobble. Or does yes. the board wobble because they won't like flat anymore? And yeah. And so this was definitely a gimmick, this magnetic wheel, like, ooh, magnets, but it worked so well. And when someone showed me that there was a wheel on top of a wheel and they both were magnets, I was just astounded. Now the game is good outside that. That doesn't, nothing to do yes. with whether the game is good or not. But man, I want to see this in more games. I love magnets in general. Magnets are a good gimmick to get me in a game, but they're often not utilized very well. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, magnets as a gimmick as a whole. What is it? There's that, uh, the fluke de mumi or whatever. Yeah, that's a right? pretty good use of magnets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So magnets in general, I think, are criminally underused, making every one of their appearances a gimmick. And that's a real shame because, well, no, I mean, is the earth running out of magnets? I don't know. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not really keen or, um, you know, up to date on that. I know Can we're running out of so magnets? many important elements. We're running out of helium and all these other things, but. Hopefully we can, the board game industry can still keep the magnets coming, I suppose. All right. Last gimmick is you. You get three. Okay. Okay. Because I highly agree with your cube tower one. So I'll yeah. claim that jointly. Okay. So we, we, yeah. all right. So we've got one entry that everybody agrees with. Oh, uh, if Jen were here, she's really good at this. Oh yeah. Someone said the magnets and the faceless. That's a good use of magnets too. Oh my gosh, the compass, or as you would say, the, how do you say compass? <laughs> I say compass. Say compass, <laughs> compass. The compass. I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. I lived in Pennsylvania. We didn't say anything yeah, I was right. Say it's a northeastern thing, right? The, the, the compass. We say water too, which <laughs> drives my family crazy. Yeah, but no, that, that compass, that was really cool. And you're right, it is another use of magnets, but oh man, oh, yeah, anything, I guess that's kind of a consistent thing. Anything that makes the game move uh, is going to be something that's very, very cool. Oh, like, yeah, uh, there's... Like uh, this, Masters of Renaissance. I don't know if you... I think you did play it. It's basically oh, Lorenzo yeah. El Magnifico. The, they call it Lorenzo El Magnifico, the dice game, but it's really Lorenzo El Magnifico, the marble game, when it boils right down to it. That's the truth of it. you got this grid of marbles, you slide them in, the other one, it's just so satisfying. I often don't pick, right, I, I feel like not picking the best marble for me, but picking the one that will make the marble come at the top of the channel and slide <laughs> all, all the way down. And even though I don't even need this, why did I pick that one? Um, the first I time I was playing it, I said to the, I said to the people at the table, I said, I, I, I don't know if I'm winning or not, but the satisfaction of pushing these marbles is so high. I don't care. I just want to take resources the whole game. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, there we go. Um, so marbles, is that, is that, is that the fifth one? Marbles? Cause you could then slide that around to gizmos and potion explosion. Oh gosh. Yes. Of course. You're right. Yeah. So just I mean, marbles in general. Gizmos, that conveyor belt thing and, and potion explosion is the same thing. Yeah. I'm going to say marbles. The industry needs more magnetic marbles. We've lost Clearly, our marbles. Give us some back. Towers, um, with a la with laminations on them, and I forgot what the fifth one was. UV um, uh, towers, marbles, magnets, 
And whatever. Oh, and the, first... the, the gears from Zulkin. The gears. That was very specific to one game, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, my wife did not forgive me. Um, I wonder, did the audience have any suggestions? Probably didn't oh, ask them they, for any. Well, they spent a long time arguing what's a gimmick or not. Um, I, VR glasses. I open that. That would have been a good. That would have been a professional choice to make, I suppose. <laughs> VR glasses, lasers. Um, Ooh, lasers, right? That that chess Egyptian tomb game, right? Ripping stuff up in a game. Um. Do you, would you, I wouldn't call Legacy a gimmick at all. It might have been a gimmick the first time you've done it, I guess. Yes. I guess that's kind of part of what has to define as a gimmick is, did it, has it been normalized? Because if so, it's no longer a gimmick. Once upon a time, the idea of rolling dice and writing down your results was a gimmick in the 50s when Yahtzee did it. But now it's standard. Um, that's true. Well, we could go on forever about, is it a gimmick or a game mechanism? But we have 20 so minutes left, folks. Okay. Now's your chance to ask us questions. So ask Open away in the comments and we will possibly answer them if <laughs> they're interesting. Yeah. Um, you exercise editorial control. You, you wield that like a hammer. Someone said the dice tower is a gimmick. Oh, they mean, oh, they meant actual dice towers. All right. <laughs> Sand timers is a good gimmick. Sand timers as workers in a worker placement, in a real-time worker placement game. I think that's a cool new thing. Because what you got, you've got Kitchen Rush and you've got, uh, the, the new medical one and the Tales of Pirates. And I think, I can think of maybe one more. That is a good one though. And it's one I hope catches on and is no longer a gimmick because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, I don't know though. It's, my problem with those kind of games is there's so few people who will play them with me. Really? Yeah. The, the, when as a game involves speed, it's 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 problematic because somebody uh, is going to be faster than other people, and if you're just faster, it's hard for them to win. Yeah. Uh, and also, you don't get to see what the other players are doing, and you look up and oh, you're doing this. I don't know. I, I feel like they work, but it's a very small subset of gamers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I ultimately think it probably lends itself more to cooperative play when it boils right down to it. All right, Alex says, I don't know if you've played The King's Dilemma, have you? No, I, I so <gasps> want to. Oh, but it's three to it, five, isn't it? Exactly. I actually tracked those guys down at a convention and said, where is my two-player variant? Come up with a dummy that will automate voting so my wife and I can play this game. Because I fully suspect it probably would have made my top ten of the year from everything I've heard about it. Well, let me ask you this then. So he's specifically talking about The King's Dilemma here, but what if – you could play legacy games on a tabletop simulator. Do you think that might appease the people who are afeard of ripping up cards and stickering boards and things? Yeah, well, yeah, except uh, I would imagine those people are also afeard of digital interfering with their <laughs> animals. I imagine the big diagram you think... has a lot of overlap there. <laughs> Keep board games the same. Don't... <laughs> But yes, maybe so. Um, I would still, I still want my dynamic digital board game and a legacy way would be a cool way to do that. As in, I reveal this spot and it's different in my game than it might be in your game. Mm. I want to mix between legacy and the unique games that Fantasy Flight is putting out. Yeah. There's a gimmick where, and gosh, are we ever going to see it beyond Keyforge and the game that shall not be named? I don't know. 
but wow, yeah, that's a fantastic gimmick, which I'm sure not every, which I'm sure they can pull off and nobody else can because of their economies of scale, I imagine. For folks who don't know, Keyforge is a dueling Magic the Gathering-esque card game where when you buy a deck, it is completely unique. There's not another deck of all the tens of thousands of copies that are in the retail market that matches your deck because they've mastered a printing technology that, in, that kind of randomly jumbles together keywords and art and all of that. And I love that idea. I would love to see that happen more often. I would love to see that. I would love to see that applied to Agricola or something like that. Um, well, speaking but, of this, yes. um, so I was listening to somebody put the six hour podcast up on the internet. And so I was in our whatever, uh, oh, listening. Yes. Uh, who, what, what, what fool one would do it and what <laughs> other fool would listen to it? That's what people have been telling me. But, um, so I was listening to my last podcast talk, was six hours long, folks. You, you were talking about Magic the Gathering and you had yeah. some, some thoughts on, <laughs> on the oh. brokenness of Magic the Gathering. So no, 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 not not brokenness, old fashionedness. It is, it is, it is, it is. I believe Magic the Gathering, as a design system, has been largely made obsolete by games that have stood on its shoulders. Um, because I had to play Magic the Gathering a couple of months ago when I had my nephew and niece visiting in there and their whole, everybody they know are into it, all their kids, friends and all that. And, um, man, right away got mana screwed. And then the second game, oh, I got the opposite where I have too much mana and not enough stuff. And third game, there was no third game. Um, and these days, you know, I wish somebody had just whispered in, um, Richard Garfield's ear when he was working on this. Multi-use cards. Multi-use cards. They're an amazing thing. Hey, I could play this as a source of mana, or I could play it, or I could tap it. Yo, I mean, magic could be so hugely improved on. And didn't I hear you talking about a recent variant that is catching popularity of, hey, you know what? There is no mana in everybody's lands. There's just a mana pool off to the side that everybody can share or something like that. Well, that's actually what I was going to talk to you about. I was curious what you would think of the idea. It's called a battle box. Okay. There's a hundred cards that you make a pool of, of all five colors. And then each person gets five basic lands and five dual lands so that you have all three mana three times. Are they in play right from the get-go? No, they're, they're exiled. They're basically out of the game. But each okay. turn you can bring one land into play. Ah. And then you play magic normally. Except okay. that. You have these random decks. So you didn't actually deck build. You're just utilizing the cards that you have. Ah. Okay. It's I think that for, sounds fantastic. It's really fun, especially for a casual person. I don't care. I'm not trying to build this super deck. I just like, ooh, this is a cool card. Can I use it? Well, I can use it. Yeah. It's just, you know, it makes it a little bit longer of a game because it takes you a while to whittle. You can't pull these mega combos off. But yeah. I really like it a lot. All right. I like it. I like the idea of that. And also, you know, that I, I was mostly just thinking of, oh, look, there's a, a readily available pool of mana. So my deck can just be all about that stuff. And then you're saying it almost sounds when my wife and I back in the day when we were hugely into magic back around third edition Ice Age era. I, I still have boxes full of fallen. Um, what was it? Fallen kingdoms uh, in an attic somewhere uh, because that got so overproduced. But we pretty much only played in tournaments that were sealed deck. We loved sealed deck. Hey, here's your two starters, your whatever it was, two boosters. You got 10 minutes, make a deck and go. 
and then play that deck for the rest. But you're like constantly tweaking it because when we played them, um, you know, there were real stakes. Oh, uh, every match moves me forward on the ladder, but also I win your anti card and I'll put it in my deck. And yeah, that was good fun. Um, uh, you know, because of that joy of discovery, I imagine it's, you know, that same kind of joy of what is this going to give me is why you do love, uh, what do you call it? Epic Thunderstone, I think. Your variant that was so well loved, it became official. Well, again, it's Richard Launius. I just messed around with it some. Yeah. But, um, all right, let's go back to questions. Okay, yes. They're probably in a few by now. Any chance you two will visit Vasco da Gama together? <laughs> Actually, this, this is- Friday, a live playthrough of Vasco da Gama on whatever online, ch- um, uh, site is, whether it's Board Game Arena or whatever. We are one month away from the 10 year anniversary of my review of that game. I, oh, I was just looking up, you know, games I reviewed 10 years ago and I noticed that and I was like, huh, interesting. Is that uh, sneak peek? No, look, I like a lot of, I think Paul Omori is an amazing designer and I like many of his other games. Yes. So I mean, Bosco da Gama was clearly not the game for you. Let's just say. How are the chickens faring, Richard? Chickens. The chickens are great, actually. We had a pretty weak winter with them. I mean, we have 12 chickens. We have a dozen chickens out there, and we were getting maybe two or three eggs a day because they were all molting at the same time. But they seem to have bended around the corner, and now we're getting, um, you know, nine or ten eggs a day. Um, we there's a there's an open field adjacent, and we got permission that we can allow the chickens to, uh, you know go out into that field more because we've set up some chicken wire. So the, our chickens are living their best lives at this point. Uh, the craziest thing, Hattie, which is a tiny little chicken, has one of those mop-top heads, and we've had her for over a year. We thought, is she a rooster? She still hasn't laid anything. She recently started laying, and her eggs are literally, I am not exaggerating, a third of her entire body size. We assumed these were going to be like dropping little you know, pigeon eggs or something like that, but they're like full-size eggs out of this... This chicken that's about the size of a pigeon. Um, so yeah, we, we like, we like eggs. Um, do they taste different? My wife swears they do, but they do not. Uh, they, they do not. I was the at a. You'll notice is the yolks are, if, if we ever have store bought yolks, they're, they're to us, they feel pale and sickly because they, they have kind of like a, 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 a shallow yellow feel. Whereas the yolks in our eggs, because we know, I mean, you know, it's, they're grass-fed, and they're bugs, and, and we, we've got buckets of all these grubs that are dried that we can feed them and stuff like that. And their yolks are like a deep, rich orange. And I swear, they taste exactly the same. It really doesn't matter. But my wife swears that every time she has to eat you know, store-bought eggs, it's like she's turning her nose up at them. I was at a farmer's market a few weeks ago, and they had ostrich eggs, but they were 10 bucks a pop. And I thought... <laughs> I don't know if an ostrich egg is worth 10 bucks and I don't want to mess it up, right? I didn't want to open it and ruin it. <laughs> you know? Uh, all right. You only live once, Tom. <laughs> what new game to you do you think the other would really like? So I'll start here because I actually was telling Richard about this before we started. And is I think the new, uh, Fallout Shelter game, I think he'll like that a lot. It's a nice little worker placement game that there's a little bit of luck in it. There's a little bit of roll dice that, but that's, the dice are very manipulative. You, you can manipulate the dice quite a bit. It's simple. It's fast. It's fun. I don't know. I, I just found myself really enjoying it. 
Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you mentioned that just before the show, to which I replied, I might, but with my background with Bethesda Softworks from my former video game life, I will have to. I want to well, put just, that out of just, my mind. Just do this when you're playing. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. 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 I'll just have to pretend it's uh, Mad Max uh, instead of uh, instead of the Fallout universe. Let's see. That's a good question. What is new to me? Come on. Yeah, I know you. Well, you have you have way more opportunity than me because you're playing the Kickstarter stuff. So exactly, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. haven't seen any of it. Um, let's see. I feel I, I've got a couple that I think would be great for Z. Um, <laughs> Z's not here. No, he is not. Uh, oh, you know what? Okay, you. I just covered an expansion for a game that came out a couple of years ago. I don't remember you ever covering Squires for Hire or Squire no. for Hire. No. Um, yeah, they had a small Kickstarter a couple of years ago. They're doing Mystic Runes as a new Kickstarter. It'll be coming soon, and it's awesome. I know how much you love Circle the Wagons, right? Um, I do. It's called Mystic uh, what? Uh, it's called Squire for Hire, and the new version that's coming out is uh, Squire for Hire Mystic Runes. Got it's it. It's basically... Circle the wagons uh, in a fantasy setting. The the way we're having to stack and and meld cards together is us creating our our adventurer's bag of loot. Every time we complete a quest, that means we get to pick from one of two cards to add to our bag, and we have to you know cover up existing things and uh, put things next to each other to score bonus points based on the unique character attributes we've got, whether we're a druid squire or a knight squire or something like that. And like Circle the Wagons, the whole game is a deck of whatever, 18 cards, but it just works so well. It's so much fun and, um, and surprisingly is very, very thematic. Uh, because all the cards are two-sided. On one side, there is the grid that you're going to use to be, you know, doing your layout stuff. The other side is the quest you have to complete based on the stuff you've already got in your bag. It's really sharp, and considering how much you love Circle the Wagons, and oh my god, I only recently discovered it, I love Circle the Wagons, and I was really impressed. You know, um, when we did our thing in Vegas, and you mentioned uh, a most influential game, um, Love Letter, because of the micro game, uh, but then I, I kind of shot you down by saying, well, yeah, but was it really a thing? Are there microgames anymore? I think microgames might be making a comeback, baby. Uh, and Squire for Hire and Circle of Wagons and, uh, uh, oh, the, uh, the other one from the, the, the city building game, Sprawlopolis are proving maybe there is a future for microgames as well. And I think you will definitely like this one. This looks really good. I'm yeah. really enjoying how that one looks. All right. You've sold me. All right. Alrighty, let's see. So someone just said, Kabuki Kid said, 18 card games are sort of a gimmick. <laughs> I, yes, yes. Unless they reach critical mass and they become a thing. And I kind of do hope they, but when you mentioned it and I was saying, well, I don't know if they ever caught on, I'm rooting for them to make a comeback. It's just, you know, that first wave of them was just all inspired by Love Later. So it was just Another social deduction game, another deduction game, another puzzly, oh, I've only got two cards, what could it be? And, I mean, I got tired of that really quick. Um, but these games show you can do something, you can do a lot more uh, with 18 cards. And so, fingers crossed, it's a, it's a bold new future. It says, Rado, if you were in Tom's local game group, how often would you play the likely bad games he takes along with him? And I'll, I'm going to add an addendum here okay. and assume you're not a reviewer at the same time. Oh, did so I that, miss a, a normal so that you, joke? Well, you got to take that out of your... Because otherwise, you just would say, I don't have time to do them. I mm -hmm. got to look at the games I'm going to review. 
Do you literally sit down to the table and say, okay, everybody, I'm going to warn you. I've read the rules for this. It's garbage, but we're going to play it. Uh, how, no, what I how say. How coming are you with that? This is what I always say. I say, I don't know if this game is good or not. It looks good or it doesn't look good. Because I'm usually oh. learning the rules at the table. I'll say one of those two things. And I always say, listen, I didn't design this game. I didn't publish it. So if you hate this game, you are not hurting my feelings by saying so. And yeah. it's up to you. And a few people will sometimes say, ah, okay, I'll look for something else. But there's usually a few people willing to take the plunge because they're hoping, as I am, that the game yeah. is good. Despite I don't ever sit down playing a game hoping it's bad. Right, right, right. You always have an open mind, even if you have suspicions. I do have suspicions sometimes. But if I think a game is horrific from reading the rules, I probably won't even play it. If it, I mean, if right. it smells so bad from a distance, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not yeah. touching this one. Usually, so there's got to be something in there that, whether it's even if it's just the box cover or the art, there's got to be something that made you say, okay, this gets over the hump. I'll put it on the table. I'll give it an hour. To answer the question, I know for a fact I would join him because <laughs> I, because uh, I, that's my natural predilection. I want to see everything. I've designed games for 20 years. I. I consider myself a student of game design, and I love seeing new ideas. Even new ideas implemented poorly, I will definitely enjoy saying, oh my gosh, this is such a great idea. If only they'd done this, this, and this, or if this were put in this other game, um, you know, because I, I like studying them. I used to, when I first started my channel, I was a lot more laissez-faire and would cover just about everything until the day came that my wife said, yeah, maybe we could take a break from playing these games for a while. And I realized she did not have the same um, open opinion about just the enjoyment of mechanisms. She needs to actually enjoy the game. And so now I only play games that I'm pretty confident are going to be good. And uh, and I know I turned down a lot of things where that sounds like a really cool idea. But, oh, my God, that's going to be such a terrible game. I just very politely say, I'm sorry. I don't think it's a good fit for us. Have a good uh, good shot with your Kickstarter campaign or whatever. So, yeah, um, especially because I believe especially if it's just me and Tom, we could both be, I know people who watch my show wouldn't believe this, we can both be pretty decisive. And if it's not going well, we could probably get through it pretty quick, I think, as well. Yeah, and there's also the, it doesn't happen very often, yeah. but there's also the jettisoned games. Um, mm. But uh, recently, I just I remember this, just recently we were playing a game and everyone was like, not that great of a game. And I was like, let's do it. And we all push. And at, at one point, I was like, okay, I guess we don't have to finish. And somebody else was like, no, we'll finish it. And so we did. And then we put it away. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was doing the uh, the Samwise, I can't carry your burden, but I'll carry you up the uh, steps of Mount Doom. It's, it's yeah. It is. Spoiler limited. alert, I suppose. Sorry, folks. If, uh... I'm sorry. It's in the book. It came out in the yeah. 50s. All right. It's a great line. What theme – this is a question that's asked a lot, but I figured we could answer it. Uh, what theme are we most attracted to and would like to see more in new games? Boy, that is asked a lot. It isn't is. Isn't it? I know you answer... go-to for a long time was supermarkets, and now you just broadened it to food, correct? Well, now there's a lot of food games, so I'm okay. But for me, any theme that – just feels different and unique. And I'm like, wow, I haven't seen that before. That always gets me excited when there's a theme I haven't seen before. Like bees was interesting to me. And then there's eight games about <laughs> bees. And then I was like, oh, okay. But if there's something that's just unique and different, like 
I know a lot of people weren't – Mezzo did not take off. But the fact that it was about Aztec gods, I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. There's not many games that do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I never know what to say when people ask this because I, uh, I, 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 I'm on record as loving trading in the Mediterranean. And quite frankly, every time somebody asked me what would fault. I make, I would probably make a trading in the Mediterranean game. Uh, just because there's something about the economics of a simpler time. Not that it was necessarily simpler a time, but it's just, it feels like, uh, because I like Euro games, which are by and large economic games, um, and I, I, I like games where I feel like I'm somebody in the world, even if that somebody is a feckless, uh, um, you know, middle manager, uh, you know, in some shipping company, and that's his whole job, I, as long as I can get into it. But um, I agree with you. Like, uh, what did I... The other day, I covered a game that was on Kickstarter. It's still on Kickstarter now called Lawyer Up. And the thing is, ah. I signed up for that. I broke my own rule. I knew Jen and I were not going to like that game. But I was so excited about a, a give-and-take card tug-of-war battle game that was 100% themed off of you know legal dramas. And I read the rules and said, wow, this really leans hard into it. I just wanted to experience that. And it was so cool. As we were playing it, I kept saying, uh, uh, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? And uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I mean, every time I would play a card, I kept doing that because I was just so into it. Uh, and it's an example of a theme that works brilliantly. It works so well for, you know, uh, uh, gameplay mechanisms, card gameplay mechanisms. And there are very few of them out there. There's only a couple others that I know of. So I agree with Tom. I love it when somebody does it, but I don't mind. I, I am perfectly happy playing more generic, vanilla, Tolkien-inspired fantasy. I got no problem with fighters and druids fighting goblins and uh, orcs and dragons. Bring them on. I, I, I'm, I'm happy. You were doing so well. Um, <laughs> that lawyer game sounds super interesting. I think I'll have to wait a year to see it, but I'm very yeah. pumped about it. Yeah. I, I, that would have been. I, I thought about mentioning that one as well. That I, I, I recently played. That I mean, I, I don't see. I mean, oh man, it really does have kind of a, a what do you call it? A Twilight Struggle vibe too. I mean, not that there's a board where we're. Con- I mean, instead of a board where we're conquering, there's twelve jurors and we're fighting for control, pushing the uh, influence one way or the other on these twelve jurors, trying to outplay cards. Oh, that's a really good card for you. Uh, yeah, that card's gone. Uh, um, you know, it, it's it's really nicely done. And like I said, Jen, I. We kind of hated the entire time we were playing it because it was just like we were constantly messing with each other and ruining each other. But we really enjoyed it, too, just because we love legal dramas. You can't handle the truth, I believe what? I yelled at this point. Objection! Exactly. All right. Well, folks, that's that. That's an hour. Right. Time's up. But the good news is I don't think either one of us has run out of things to talk about. So <laughs> we'll be back Friday with more to talk about, more things. We hope to see you guys then. Stay safe, everybody. Um, there's more live stuff going up. We got a live chat going up tonight here in the Dice Tower. Not a lot of uh, other live shows will be going on uh, over the next few weeks, but we will be doing those chats every night. And then the next time we do this, it's not on this channel. It's on Rado's channel. And if you look in the description of this video, you'll see a link there. And also, oh. you will see other good videos there on his site. Um, I've been told. <laughs> I was I was afraid there. There's something I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I'm sorry. I tried to hold. Okay. All right. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I, thank I, you, everybody. I, my show is an acquired taste. I'll warn folks that right now. Well, most most shows are, if you think about it. I I, I got to go watch this Tiger show on Netflix. I heard about. It. I heard that's an acquired taste. So.
Okay. There's this new crazy show on Netflix about tigers or lions or about people who raise them. Mike Delicio says it's off its rocker, but he says it's amazing. All right. So, alrighty. We'll circle back in Friday, folks. Until next time, I'm Tom Vassell. I'm Richard Rottoham. And we'll see y'all guys later. Bye, everybody. Hello, everybody. I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody. It's me, Rotto. Yes, and we're back on Friday. And if you've never seen me before, I'm Yeah, Tom, what are you tower. doing here? <laughs> I'm invading your channel. Yeah. He's on... so lonely, folks, that he had to find some way to uh, get into somebody else's personal space. I, I got to say, I was thinking today that need makes technology happen, right? Mm. So there is a need now for this human connection. I didn't know much about Zoom, but everybody's yeah. using Zoom now and yep. Skype and different ways to communicate with each other. Yeah, I so, hope this is a boost for Tabletopia and, and Board Game Arena and uh, you know Tabletop Simulator and all that. I'm, I'm sure it must be. Oh, I know it is, and I'm curious to know if the numbers for those have gone up Yeah. in... Uh, like, oh, no, I know the numbers have gone up, but I'm curious to see if when all this calms down, if those numbers will stay up. They'll stay. If people finally get over their reticence to experience games this way, because, hey, that wasn't so bad. And there were definite advantages. Yeah. So we have uh, three segments to this show that we do. And we're doing the show right now twice a week. Do not expect that to continue indefinitely because <laughs> we got other things to do. What? What's the game now? I'm trying oh, to... This? This is uh, what I'm filming as soon as we're done. It's uh, Excavation Earth. Uh, very neat little game. Uh, it's it's 2,000 years good. in the future. Humans have disappeared, and now aliens have come to find all kinds of lost relics and artifacts like Godzilla toys and stuff like that. And there's a market for buyers, and so you're, you're traveling around digging stuff up. And uh, selling them, you know, you know, digging stuff up and then selling high, crashing the market, manipulating things, special powers, all that kind of stuff. Who's the publisher? Uh, it is Mighty Boards Games, and the designer is Dave Turchy, who uh, you know is certainly on a oh. uh, on a roll for the last few years. I do like his stuff. All right, yeah. cool. All right, folks. So the first thing that we do in these shows, besides me asking Rado what he's playing, which will probably happen every time. Uh, no is we go to Board Game Geek and we look at one of the mechanisms there. So today's mechanism is action points. Right, And we didn't uh, skip any, right? I know we skipped acting, but... We skipped I acting, but no, this is the third one on the list. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So action points is an interesting thing that this, on Board Game Geek here, it says you get a certain number of action points in your turn. You can spend those on a variety of actions. And... The earliest example of this on Board Game Geek is Special Train from 1948. And I don't know. Classic. Man, I've had so many good hours with Special Train. Well, it's a it's a real two-player game gem from the post early post-war days. There's 20 hand-painted locomotives in it. You have three express, express trains. you got to get all your trains from the starting station to the opposite side of the board. This... This actually sounds a little Euro-y. Maybe, I don't know. It does, actually. And, well, you know, an action point system is, you know, does certainly lend itself to more strategic play. Huh. Well, I noticed action points 
they were made to me, I think in board gaming, they were made fairly popular by Kramer and Kiesling. Exactly. Exactly. The uh, Tikal and the other two that I can't remember the name of. Mexican. Uh, well, Taurus, really. Taurus, Tikal, Mexica, and Java. Although Java's been renamed. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to remember. So we have a list of these games here, and I'm listing them by number owned. Number owned. I am now looking at that myself because I can't see your screen. All right. Well, there we got the same one. So the top one here is easily the most famous of all these games. Yeah. Yep, Pandemic. Yep, yep. How many action points do you get? You get four, sir. Unless you're playing the awesome generalist who gets the, five. Uh, yeah. I would argue the most powerful um, only because every other class in that game is amazing, but in certain circumstances. But it is very, very rare that you can't find a use for six actions instead of four. Uh, which makes the generals, well, generally all around the best. I have to admit, though, it feels... it was feels... five. Is it five? Yeah, oh, maybe. well, the audience will correct us. Um, pandemic, I get it. Strictly speaking, it is an action point system, but it doesn't feel like it. To me, you were right to bring up to call in the other Kramer and Kiesling games, because in those games, what is it? You get like 10 points, I think, and they literally give you a menu of actions, and some things cost two points, and some things cost one point, and all that. That, I really feel like the points come through. In Pandemic, you just say, oh, you get to do four things this turn, but at no point do they talk about the points. But it is a good value. Yeah, but I think I think I like it better when everything's one point. You could sit and look at that board and to call for a while and be like, okay, I'm going to spend two points on this. It's almost a currency, right? You have this $10 yes. a turn yeah. and you can spend it on stuff. But you see the second one here is Forbidden Island, which is essentially not the same yeah. game, but same designer, same stuff. Yeah. Pandemic Legacy. Dead of Winter. I don't know what they're, I don't know if that one counts, but I have to admit, I've never played it. I'm trying to think. On your turn, yeah, I guess you have a certain number of things you could do on your turn. What about Takinoko? Takinoko, wait, is that is that the one with the panda, or is that the one? Yeah, with it's the one with the panda. Back? You get a certain number of actions, and you're eating bamboo and moving stuff. I guess. Here's the thing, though. To to and somebody is skyping me, and I'm gonna have to say I'm live now. By the way, I'm live. I don't know if people are picking up on that. Um, to call in those games. Uh, you know, because, you know, it, it, the whole game is about, I have these points. How am I going to use them? Here's a menu of all the stuff you can do. And I do think, to really feel like an action point game, things have to cost different amounts, which is why Pandemic, all actions cost four. But it occurs to me, having said this out loud, is there at any point any Pandemic special effect card or player ability that lets you do some really cool, powerful thing that does take two of your four action points? Because if there's not... It occurs to me, um, you know, uh, Matt Leacock is really missing a trick to mix up his core formula. I, I wonder if they, I can't well, think of done that maybe in, in pandemic season, Maybe in Pandemic Season 3 that will happen, and you're seeing the future. There you go. We've, we've looked ahead. Um, that would actually be a real improvement of using the action point system to better effect. But, you know, to call, as much as I loved it, especially the mini to call variant, which you can find on Board Game Geek, which is really nice. Jen and I, we ultimately had to give up with it because we didn't call them. I mean, the board game manual literally calls them AP points or APs. You get 10 APs. And for us, yeah, those are 10 analysis paralysis because that game yes, is so insane. Yeah. 
10 things, uh, this costs three, this costs two, uh, uh, these five costs one. I loved it, but man, it just, it was so much overhead. And so I would, I would point to the call and its brethren as an example of probably taking action points too far. But on the flip side, pandemic, not taking it, doing as much with it as they could potentially. Yeah. So what do you think about, okay, so the next game I have here on the screen is Blood Rage. Now I know you haven't played Blood Rage and you probably have no desire to. But I actually have uh, what? in a very strange uh, – I played it by myself. I used it as a test bed. You, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that um, – the, the t Teach You a Board Game app. Was it Dized? D-I-Z-E-D? I'm yes. sure you've heard of it. Um, I did a video for Dized, and I, I used myself as a guinea pig and said, all right, Dized, teach me how to play Blood Rage. And I went out and got a copy of Blood Rage, and I just filmed myself going through the whole process. So I have only played it solo which is not how anybody has played it. But um, so I'm what, sorry, I have what a Rage does, It has a, a certain amount of, I don't remember what they're called now, but a certain amount of stuff that you can spend per round. Yeah. And so different things you do might cost more. So it's like action points, but they're spread throughout a round rather than on your turn. Yeah. And then the next it, one down here. Yeah. Flashpoint. That one is like Pandemic, but... It's a cooperative game, but you could use more than one action. Like, I think it costs yeah. three actions to shoot the giant fire hose. I never would have said it in a million years, but there is an example where Flashpoint is superior to Pandemic then. Uh, I know you love Flashpoint. It's really kind of a swing and a miss for us. I mean, I, I get it. It's so thematic. It really comes alive. But, you know, Jen and I found, I mean, we really miss the Pandemic deterministic nature of where where elements are going to strike because, oh, look, you know, these five cities have gotten hit. We reshuffle the cards, put it back on top. And now we know those are right. the five hot cities as opposed to fire, uh, you know, uh, the, the fire game where, yeah, it could just be anywhere. Roll the dice. Um, it is it neat. I love the miniatures in the updated version. But, yeah. But, yeah, that that's is interesting. Cool. Why does Pandemic not do this? They must do it. <laughs> he sold a lot of copies. I think he's okay. <laughs> Did you oh, think? but think he has how a, many more he could have sold. He has an article in the New York Times right now. He's, he's <laughs> Yeah, I need um, to read that actually, yeah. Uh, let's see. Photosynthesis has a certain number of action points that you can spend Yeah. Uh, to build trees, to grow trees. They all cost it. That It's like a – that one for some reason feels currency-ish. And then here's Takao. That's the one yep, we talked about go. the most. I must say, I don't know how popular that is because no one else has really copied that where you have this exactly. 10 action points. I do think they proved that this is maybe not the best idea, that you can take a good solid mechanism that can be used in a lot of ways way too far. Uh, you know, Tikal is the ultimate. Here's an interesting thing. We were talking about this game right in front of me, Excavation Nurse. The whole game is run off of the fact that at any given time, I've got a hand of cards. And you, I, we draft for them, and uh, you know, standard Seven Wonders style. Every round, I get to play two cards from my hand, and, and I use them to move or excavate or you know, export goods and stuff like that. Strictly speaking, that means because I play two cards every round, this is an action point game. Every round, I get two action points, which I spend to play a card. Which um, lends me to believe that the, de the definition of action point really isn't that useful. I mean, what games aren't action points? If there's any game out there where you can do more than one thing on your turn, it is implicitly an action point game, isn't it? Well, I would argue that an action point game is a game that has a currency that is temporary. 
So oh, that if you don't, if you if you you use it or lose it, use it or lose it, and that you have options. It's not a game where it says take this action and then you can optionally take this action. Yeah, uh, there's other games that do that too. They'll say on your turn, pick one of these three actions. That's not yep. action points. I mean, unless you're gonna say you have one action point. That that's well, you do. Every I know, game is an sure, but that's at that point. <laughs> at that point, we're <laughs> deliberately widening the definition. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. taking it too far. I'm looking down through the list for other games. There's a lot of games on here that have, like I think that they're being stretched to put on the list, but Burgle Brothers might fit the list. Sure. Well, yeah, because so many games like Burgle Brothers owe everything to that pandemic formula. I mean, pandemic. That's true. Uh, thinking, yeah, I mean, I, when we did our top 10 most influential games, I would have had to give it to pandemic because it feels like at least 20% of all cooperative games that come out every year are right. You get three or two or five action points. Here's your list of things you can do. And really, you're running around a map fighting fires, sometimes literal, sometimes metaphorical. And, um, you know, oh, Above and Below is here. I actually yeah. like that because, yeah, they're points, but the points are physically represented by your little people. Because some people call that, oh, isn't work Above and Below a worker placement game? But not really. I've got these people, and yes, huh. I put them in the, the spent column, but it's not like I send them to specific actions. I just, you know, oh, I'm spending this person because each one of those people represents an action point. Like you said, each one of those people is effectively a resource. So while I might have poo-pooed it, I, actually, I do think I, it, that fits very appropriately for Above and Below. Hmm. Uh, then we got Zaya. I think I'm <laughs> farther ahead than you. Yeah. Moving around. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I only just started scrolling again. What about a game like Raptor? Have you played uh, Raptor? No, because you spend all your time trying to kill each other. No, no, no. You are yes, trying to yes, capture yes. you're trying to capture baby raptors for ethical purposes, and the mother <sighs> raptor is gently nudging the scientists to sleep. That her... was not made clear to me in my original <laughs> investigation into the game. I, I didn't have I had no idea. <laughs> I mean that's oh. an asymmetrical a warfare game, right? Um, you know, you're, you're the raptor moving stuff around. The sure, it actually feels more like an abstract strategy game than anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jambo or Jambo? Does that have action points? Let's see. You, yeah, I think you have like four on your turn, right, to use. Man, I haven't played Jambo in a billion years. It's been a while. I know I really like it, and I'm trying hard to remember what's in it. Western Legends has action points, yes, as you run around. Yeah, yes, 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 very much so. Yeah, actually, Western Legends kind of feels like it owes to Pandemic that same basic structure, except, hey, what if Pandemic were in the Old West and competitive instead of cooperative? Now that I yeah. think about it. And it is that notion, which I didn't make that connection between the both action point games. So I, I, I think you and I can both agree then that Takal and Pandemic are like the two linchpins here. Opposites. yeah. But I mean, Takal started this, hey, let's make a whole lot of games of action points. And Richard no, no, no. Brees. I believe Special Train started it. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> credit where credit is due because it was such oh. a huge jump from regular train. I'm pretty sure we just did that list of the most influential games. And I would pick the first one. And then you'd say, no, it's the <laughs> one that made it popular. <laughs> but I'm saying Takal made it popular, although not many people other than. Kramer and Kiesling, and I think uh, Richard Brees did it in his key games a little bit. But then mm. Pandemic, he took and just said, here's a few action points, yeah. spend them. 
Yeah, yeah. And but, but, but it completely that. abstracted that concept away because when you're playing it, you don't feel like, right, I have this resource and I'm spending it. The resource is action points. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a stealth action point game. I see Tricarian on here, and I think that's a really interesting addition because, strictly speaking, my first thought was, no, no, Tricarian is a worker placement game. It's pure, straight-up worker placement. But every worker has action points associated with them, right? Or is it the spaces? Because, as I recall, yeah, if I send my worker out, the one that represents me, I get to do three uh, actions of the worker placement spot. Where if I send my assistant, they only have one action point to spend to do whatever worker placement spot I said. So that's a really cool idea of fusing action points to individual workers. I really like that quite a bit. Let me ask you this. When it comes yeah. to action points in a game, and you let's say you have four on your turn that you can okay. do. I have do four. you like a physical representation of that or do you prefer to keep track in your head? That's a good question. Because um, sometimes I get a game and I give you these four tokens and I'm like, I don't need these tokens until then I forget. Yeah, exactly. So I know there are some games I have covered on Kickstarter and I complained vociferously um, that they didn't have those. Like I think one of the Valeria games, uh, one of the smaller card games, uh, you know, it starts out, oh, look, you just get to do whatever, two, three, four actions. And it should be easy to remember that. You're just going to play four cards. But if you play a card that can trigger some insanely complex chain of of reactions and, and all kinds of stuff, by the time you're all done, was that my second or my third action? And so I, I did actually play, and I believe they put them in after the fact. And then when I finally got the copy, we then proceeded to play without them. Which is absolutely ridiculous. I, I think what they did is they said, hey, look, here's the action trackers. Every time you do an action, take it, hand it to the player to your left. When you're out of them, you know your turn is over. And that's smart. But it is a shame that it feels kind of fiddly. And it I really does. People, yeah. I, I don't know a good way to do it because almost every game where I've had them, we start using them. And then halfway through, you get so excited that you forget and exactly. I think it's okay as long as the game doesn't give you bonus actions. Like it's the Dominion problem. Yeah, where I yeah, play yeah. Dominion and plus two actions. And then for one of those actions, I play another plus two actions. So wait a minute. How many actions do I still have? Is it three or yep. four? And that sort of thing sometimes can get me. That is true. We have definitely had um, Dominion layouts where we actually have like these little transparent chips that we just keep on the table because they have a million uses. And one of them is, right, okay, put the chip on, okay, I've done that action on that card. And I've done that action on that card because you're right, uh, turns can just get insane for such a simple little game. The old ABC volume, or, you know, explodes very, very quickly. So I do agree. I mean, ultimately, that kind of tracking is something that is perfect for digital app integration into board games. You know, That's keeping true, track cause... of what you're doing. So, look, I just want to focus on what I can do, and it's easy to forget, you know, my bookkeeping. And I love it when a game can do bookkeeping like that. Hmm. Or, you know, the digital implementation. I do like that, and that's... I have to say, though, overall, this is a mechanism I like. I like yeah. having... It feels like you have a bit of freedom, like on my turn, I'm going to do something. Yep. Uh, I'm going to spend two things doing this. I'll spend one on this and one on this. And I did a few things uh, as yeah. opposed to some games where you do one thing on your turn and it might be a boring thing. In mm -hmm. this game, it feels like you get to do something interesting. I don't yeah, know. You're right. It's like, it's I, like I an think, allowance. Yes. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head more than anything else. 
this approach to a game structure gives the player the sense of freedom to explore what their options are and try to feel clever that they come up with a solution rather than probably, strictly speaking, the more traditional, hey, you just get to do one thing. Here's a list of things you can do. Move a pawn, play a card, and, th- and your turn is over. Here, I can have, sometimes they're really simple turns. I'm just going to use all four action points just to move from here to here because we're desperate for me to be over there. And sometimes I'm going to use those action points. And it creates this kind of ebb and flow that I do think is strong. And probably, I mean, could hearts make use of action points in some uh, in some way? I don't know. Ah, uh, uh, Magic the Gathering. <laughs> you can play a big... I'm going to bring it up every time now. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. I Alrighty. do like that, though. Magic the Gathering, one of your action points is just create a land. You you have landless decks, um, and you, know, you get three action points. Playing a spell costs uh, two. Oh, man, yeah, you could totally... I just want to keep fixing... Every week, we just have to find another way to fix Magic the Gathering here. It's, it's That's clearly it. okay. what this show is meant to be. <laughs> All right, folks. All right. Next, we have a top five that we, yes. we're we going to do better than last week. So <laughs> tell, tell folks how this works. Well, okay, folks. This is where you step up to the plate. Start making suggestions for things you would like the official top five countdown of. And uh, Tom will look him over, he'll pick a few, I will make the final choice, and then we will dynamically, right in front of you, like magic, come up with the definitive, for all times, top five best of whatever it might be. It could be game-related, it doesn't necessarily, it could be pop culture-related, it could be, I know Tom wouldn't mind uh, some food-related options. (laughs) So, I imagine in about 30 seconds, we're going to start seeing some suggestions, and uh, last time... It was our first time, and uh, Tom was just saying before we started today, that we we, we skipped the last part of saying definitively, this is it. Um, We just kind of, I came up with three, he came up with two, and we said, well, I guess that equals five. Do we need to be a little bit more um, regimented here? Because I like the idea of vetoing if Tom comes up with something absolutely ridiculous. Yes, and that's that's fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, so let me see. I'm, yeah, the, oh, oh my, they just, they just, uh, they just jumped up here. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, All right, I got two so far, and let's see. <laughs> there are some very Ooh, interesting a, choices. In oh, here. that's a good top ten. I'm gonna do someday, so I'm gonna not do that one. It's top five games that make you feel powerful. Um, oh, that is a good one. Um, I'm surprised you haven't already done that. Well, there's a lot of things that we haven't done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's see. The top five board game podcast, that'd be a little uh, on the nose there. All right, all right, here we go. So these are kind of generic, but I got them for you. So top five spices. Okay. Spices. Top five right. big cats in honor of uh, the tiger guy on uh, Netflix right I now. I still need to watch this show, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, the right. top five NES games, not SNES games, but NES games. Ooh. And the top five fantasy races. <laughs> wow. I, I, I have no choice. I have to go with NES games because for folks who don't know, uh, I was a video game developer for 20 years. And the first few years of my life in the video game industry was being a Nintendo gameplay counselor in Seattle, Washington. So I spent thousands of hours on the phone talking people 
through how to get the Maui Maui ball and, and Metroid and stuff like that. So I'm tempted to do fantasy races, but I think that'll have to wait for another day. I think we have to do NES games. Um, wow. And there are so many. This is the greatest video game system of all time. Right. I have to actually like think, really, I think SNES is, but all right. Do you, I mean, I, I, I imagine for you, it's going to be a little bit easier to go SNES. I'm totally cool with that. No, I think no, no, no. I could do both. Game. I can do yeah. both. I'm just saying that you said it was the best. I was going to argue. I, I, I actually, I don't think, I think I was maybe, maybe a bit hyperbolic. If for no other reason that the Super NES has Zelda Link to the Past, which is the greatest video game in history. So you kind of have to give it to the Super NES for that game alone. Alrighty, so for NES. Um, Alright, the uh, first one, I mean, do I want to throw out... I am going to throw out um, the original Final Fantasy. Or Final Fantasy 2, or Final <laughs> Fantasy 3, if you got the Japanese versions. Because I think Final Fantasy no, 3, 3 never was, came out. 3 was... Oh, if you're saying if you have the Japanese. But I don't think that exactly. one was out. Yeah, well, Final Fantasy III in America had jumped over to Super NES, if I recall correctly. But I honestly think Final Fantasy I is the best of the series. Because by the time you get to Final Fantasy VII, um, for my taste, it went so far off the rails. The entire... And I know this is blasphemy, I'm sure. I, I can see <sighs> I'm a blasphemer, but... They, they, the original Final Fantasy, where you actually created a party of four characters, and you actually gave them names. They very quickly dropped that idea. And the early game almost felt more like a precursor to Final Fantasy Tactics, because it wasn't about the story. It was about leveling up those characters and um, making tough tactical decisions in combat, because the game could be pretty pretty punishing uh, if you did not play smart. You know, of course, and of course it introduced everything. Not that I think Dragon Warrior predates Final Fantasy when it boils right down to it, so you do have to give props to Dragon Warrior. Although in the original Dragon Warrior, you only had one character. How boring was that? But the original Final Fantasy, the entire video game RPG industry traces back to that. And, and for my money, it is still the best one. Um, I mostly disagree with you here. I... Yeah. I mean, seven is clearly amazing, and six an is clearly amazing. So is ten. Experience. It's a terrible actual game. What? My I played it. So, okay. Anyhow. Yes. Even though I disagree with you on that, I do agree that it should be on the list. So that's okay. We Final have Fantasy. one. Okay. Give me so some. So here's, I, you know, on one hand, I want to say Mario because it's a classic game. It came. It actually was sold with the system for a while. The real question and I played is, a ton which of it. Mark? Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. I'm gonna get to it. Not Mario Two, even though it's interesting and unique. It's not really Mario. It's actually a skin over another game. So I'm gonna exactly. jump to Mario yeah, this Three. Weird Arabian Nights game, uh, if I recall correctly. I'm gonna pick Although Mario. It was, it was very cool, and and Mario Two did a lot of really cool, important things. But I know where you're going, and I have to agree. Super Mario Brothers Three. It right? introduced a lot of things. It had that overworld map. The map, yep. it, it had the different hats you could get that are still being used even in the yep. latest game on the Switch. Yep. Um, it To me, I remember as a kid, I would sit around and I would design these levels in my head, I, which, you, <laughs> which you could actually do now. Now you can do, um, yeah, with Mario Maker, right. And I just thought it was this idea of this, this kingdom that had... I don't know. It was just weird to me. It was it was such a neat system. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's amazing. I mean, 
that that game is such an incredible burst of creativity. And because if you look at what came before, oh, look, I'm just a little guy. I'm moving from left to right. I can climb up some stuff. I can bop stuff with my head. Um, to where, you know, they were introducing like forced auto scaling levels, uh, which they used in a lot of different ways for uh, underwater sequences. And like I said, that the hats, um, never mind the fact that it made America fall in love with Fred Savage. Did you see the movie? The, I forget the name of it. The, the, the wizard, the uh, wizard. Yes. I think I was going to say it was the master. Um, because I remember I, uh, trailers for that movie came out before Super Mario 3 came out, and people went to see that movie in theaters so they could get a sneak peek of what was in Super Mario 3 because the big tournament right, I do. Game where he had his Karate Kid triumphant moment was him, I think, uh, making one of the turtle shells bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between two things and score him a lot of points. I still remember that. Um, and I was a full-grown adult at the time, and I was excited about it. It was it was such a video game cultural milestone. Yes, yeah, Super Mario Brothers three, I think, probably makes my top ten video games of all time. In when it comes right down to ah, it. Ah, well then I picked well. I, I think so. Well. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you one that I think you might veto me on. Uh, maybe because you don't even remember it, but I thought it was amazing. I, I think it was called. I, I'm going to just look up the name just to make sure I've got it. I believe it was called Tropical Island. You know, fairly generic name. Tropical Island, NES. Is that the one? No, Star Tropics. Star Tropics. There's an interesting through line for uh, video game history at this point, where NES came out and kind of established a pattern. That was formed by, you know, Zelda and Master Blaster and Fester's Quest and Metroid. That um, games, you just assumed that they, not only were they nice, fun action things where you're fighting bad guys and stuff like that, but they were always adventure games where you would level up, you had to explore a world, and it was incredibly common. You know, even Fester's Quest, uh, you know, Adam's Family knockoff game had that full formula. But then... The Genesis came out, and, and, and it carried over into Super NES. But then the Genesis came out and gave us Sonic the Hedgehog. And Sonic That's the Hedgehog true. is an important game, but it radically changed the industry. And almost overnight, people stopped making these really cool, awesome uh, adventure games. And things just became much more simple. You know, uh, you know, just get play some kind of gimmick, just get from left to right, finish the game. And it felt like we almost reverted back to original Super Mario Brothers. Anyway, um, that's just like a bit of a history lesson, but Star Tropics, I think, was one of the last great NES adventure games. Uh, you were a little kid. You were almost kind of going on a Goonies-esque adventure because, hey, just right in your backyard, you had no idea. There was all these dangers, and your yo-yo was your primary weapon, and um, it took some of the ideas you expect from these games, but... That's right, the yo-yo. Now I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back to you. Uh, because... It was kind of a cross between Super Mario 3 and Legend of Zelda because it was an overhead view. You were moving around in, you know, in two dimensions. But because you were jumping, which people don't remember, you didn't do in the original Zelda, um, it became more of a 3D experience. And, uh, you know, and I was really fond of it, I, in part because as a Nintendo gameplay counselor at the time, I had to know that game backwards and forwards because it had such a huge marketing push from Nintendo. Everybody was playing it, and everybody got stuck because it was also a very, very hard game. So I, it, it may not be a crowd feature, but I love Star Tropics. That's definitely yeah. something you know, today. Games are much easier in the sense of, A, if I can't figure it out, I can go to the Internet. 
And they're just easier to the point where one of the games that I like a lot, but I didn't necessarily put on this list, is I like Legend of Zelda 2, Link's Awakening. Is it Link's Awakening, I think? Yeah, Link's Awakening, the side-scrolling one, yes. And I recently, on one of my systems, I, I got it. I think it was a Switch. I can't remember. And I was like, oh, I had such a problem with this as a kid, but now I'm an adult. I could beat this thing. And oh, my word, this game is hard. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, they all were. Ah, as, as a young I, man, you had the reflexes that you no longer have. I don't think uh, I had them they, ever. They, you have been trained to not use your skills. <laughs> I don't know if those are skills. Okay, I'm going to put this as a star for now because I haven't okay. played it, so I can't necessarily jump on that one. <laughs> All right, the next one I got is actually adventure games because that's I really like those a lot. Yeah, sure. And there's a lot in this genre. Like I almost put Met, uh, well, not Metroid because I say that for NSCS. Um, mm, okay. But I'll put Castlevania. Mm, yes. Castlevania. Uh, you get no argument from me there. Which I think was the, it might, it was either Castlevania. I can't remember which one was the one that spawned this genre of this basically moving through this gigantic place. And this, yeah. Castlevania, it's a castle and slowly upgrading your weapons, slowly, yep. maybe sometimes seeing a boss and saying, you know what? I'll come back later. And when I first saw that, it was fascinating because in Mario, you didn't have a choice. Yep. When you ran into Bowser, you're fighting Bowser. And, and yeah, in yeah, Castlevania, yeah, yeah. you could be like, oh, Simon can't handle this. I'm going to go uh, kill a I'm bunch more guys. That door. Yeah, let's go left instead of right. Let's go down those stairs. Yeah. And I just heard that one of these is on this on the iPad now. I think Symphony of the Night, maybe. Anyhow, Probably. I'm yeah, that's jumping around. Yeah, popular ones, definitely. But I really like this, this genre. And even though I... On like on say on S NES Metroid was the one for me, but on a regular NES I'm going to go with Castlevania. Yeah, I I you know you could give that nod to Castlevania or Metroid when it boils right down to it. I think they're both equally deserving, and I'm happy to give it to Castlevania because, well, I mean um it's it's stuck to its gun. It's still producing really great side-scrolling adventure stuff. So yeah, I, I'm I'm totally. Well, happy Jason with that. points out here Castlevania has the best music. That is definitely true. That is definitely. Yeah, I mean it, um. In a time of 8-bit graphics, it exuded theme and, uh, you know, it created a world much more than most of its contemporaries, I, I think. So, yeah, I'd, I'd give it for that. Okay, here's one that you can't really deny. Um, although <laughs> I you, will you, now. Okay, well, uh, Tetris. Oh, never mind. I was going to say Tetris for my next pick, so you're fine. Oh, there you go. I, I mean, I, if you wanted to, you could call an audible because Tetris really broke out on the Game Boy. Yes, that's where I, I played it first. Exactly. It's where everybody played it. It's the reason Game Boy was a runaway success. It was the killer app that made people go buy Game Boys so they could play Tetris and get that music stuck in their head. And it's a shame because it eventually got ported to the NES by Nintendo. And at the same time, Atari got the license directly from... I can't remember the name of the designer. And they made their own version of Tetris. And both the official Nintendo Tetris and the Atari unofficial, you know, uh, black market Tetris came out at the same time. And the Atari one was so much better. I mean, it was um, generationally ahead. It actually supported two-player uh, competitive, you know, which ultimately we got in Dr. Mario down the road. But Atari did it right off the bat, and it was fantastic. But nobody could get it. Uh, because Nintendo shut it down so they could push their own. Uh, but yeah, Tetris is, of course, hugely important. Man, I could I just, I, 
I don't know. I, I could go on about Nintendo games all day long. Yeah, okay. We, we only got life. one more left, though, with your yeah, okay. honorable okay, mention. Okay, so you're fine with that. And I'm fine with Castlevania. Um, I, I realize Star Tropics is kind of a uh, outside the box. Now we'll put it on as an honorable mention. I'm trying okay. to think here. Okay, I'm going to read you some names, and then maybe we can pick from these. I'm looking here at a list. Oh, you pulled up a list. Okay. So there's Punch-Out. There is Mega Man. No there's Contra. Duck oh. Hunt. Oh. Oh, Duck uh, Hunt. It, there's Pitfall. Oh, this, is, this has become the nostalgia hour for me. Oh my god. Doctor Marie, Doctor Mario. Yeah. Uh, Double Dragon. Oh. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Bubble Bobble. Wait. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to throw my hat in the ring for Bubble Bobble. Although you could also give it to Ice Climbers, because here's another thing that Ooh. the early NES games did that everybody forgot: cooperative play. That's well. Bubble they've always Bobble. been a kind of a fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and Bubble Bobble was brilliant. We're both these cute little dragons and we blow bubbles and the bubbles float up and we grab, we capture the bad guys in it. But I could blow a bubble that starts flowing up and then you could jump on that bubble and use it as a platform to get someplace we couldn't get otherwise. That was brilliant. That was so far ahead of the curve. It took the rest of the industry decades to catch up to that kind of emergent gameplay that players could um, experience by creating things that other players could use. I gotta give the nod to Bubble Bobble, and I will fight you over it. Eh, I'm not in the mood to fight because you said it's a cooperative thing. All right. Yeah. All right, so we got our five games here. We got Bubble Bobble, Tetris, Castlevania, Mario 3, and Final Fantasy Ooh. And a recommendation and for Star that? Tropics. Huh? And we have to do we have to rank those now? No, that's too much work. Oh, good, because that would be very hard. <laughs> I can right. slide for first or second. All right, folks, it's time for you to ask questions to us where yes. we will attempt to answer them in unison because of bubble bobble. Yep. But while we're Apologies waiting to anybody who came here for board game stuff and you just got half an hour <laughs> of me reliving my early twenties, but <laughs> it, there are so many games on this list that Give me such nostalgia, like I saw Spy Hunter. Although Spy Hunter, I never played much on the NES. That was the that was the arcade game. Yes, I was going to say the same thing for Double Dragon. We played that to death. I burned so many quarters on Double Dragon. Yeah, we would get so loud and rowdy they would kick us out of the arcade because we were playing it too loud. I still wonder if I paid money more money for any video game than I paid for some of those early arcade games. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's just the video game industry has come around full circle with the microtransactions. It's just a quarter. It's just 50 cents. That's just true. a little bit more. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Twice as Dice <laughs> says, did we play Anticipation? Anticipation? That one I haven't played. No. I assume, I'm assume that's a board game. I, I gotta no, it's on the NES. My brain. No, it's on the NES. Oh, is it? Anticipation. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just did a search for it. No. Oh, this is actually just a recreation of a board game that you could play on the NES. <coughs> I had no idea this even existed. All right. Well, let's jump to then. What's your favorite console? Well, oh. while he's thinking, I can tell you for me, it's the Switch. I'm, the Switch. I'm really happy with the Switch. I know it's new, but I like the fact that it's both portable and I can stick it on the big TV. I like that the two controllers can be taken apart. And so I can, I have freedom of my hands where I can kind of lounge in a chair and have my hands stretched like this, maybe, and play. Or, um, and I also like Nintendo in general. I've always liked Nintendo sure. games better than the rest because I like the silliness of them. Yeah. 
maybe? Oh, I like Nintendo until they fired me. And then they were dead to me for years. Oh, okay. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but but... That's the day. Um, <laughs> I would have to go, I think, I'm, I'm just trying to think in terms of what has brought me the most joy in my life. And I can't say PC, because ultimately I think I'd have to give it to PC. Uh, uh, because it's like EverQuest World of Warcraft. Um, but sticking to console, I'm going to go with the original PlayStation. Um, one, because it was so transformative. You know, be, successfully bringing polygons into our life. Sure, we got a taste of them with Star Fox on the Super NES. But, um, you know, as soon as the first time I played Battle Air, Battle Arena to Shinden or Ridge Racer on the PlayStation, it's like, this is... I, I felt like I was truly transported into these worlds because of it was pushing those polys. Never mind the fact, of course, Siphon Filter came out on the uh, PlayStation, and that it was my game. I was the lead designer on it, and it changed Jens and my life forever. And I would not be where I am today if it weren't for the PlayStation. But I do think, in terms of just a step in the overall evolution, plus so many amazing games, even Final Fantasy VII, uh, were on that platform... <laughs> That just that defined what modern video games are. The PlayStation is where we define the true modern video game, and we left the arcades behind. So I would give it to PlayStation One. The only right. thing PlayStation One was missing is online, which we had to wait till for PlayStation Two. Although, oh poor Saturn, Saturn, we hardly knew ye. I want to give it to Saturn with that with that cool little. I'm yeah, not giving it to controls. Saturn. <laughs> and you can you, you can get a thing into the controller, and it had a modem, and it had Seaman with it's Leonard always, Nimoy. For oh me, man, it had so much stuff. And the this, Morocco game. This, this is, is not a kind video of game channel. I have to remember this is a board game channel. Sorry, folks. Well, we'll jump back to board game in a second. A lot of questions were about that, but okay. I I felt for me it's such a weird thing. Like when I play a board game, I want to play with lots of people and have a good time. But when I play a video game, that online stuff doesn't appeal to me. I just mm -hmm. want to play by myself. I want to go into the world. Like, I like Skyrim and stuff like that because when I go into those worlds, I am the center of the universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which sounds really bad, but in a video game, it's fun for me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. As a former video game designer, too, you know, the fundamental difference between a single player and a multiplayer game is if you're playing a single player game, the designer or design team or, you know, the developers have crafted everything for one perspective yours to make sure everything comes together to make you feel like a hero doing design for multiplayer games is a very different beast because instead you are trying to create these circumstances that players can come together and or you know either to attack each other or to help each other and it's no longer about that singular hero moment and i i do think that single-player gaming does scratch an itch in that way that's really really important um and to me I always felt like, as the developer and designer of these games, it's like, oh, you're, you're not playing alone. You, uh, when you're playing Siphon Filter, you're playing against me. The I made the game. I made it for you to explore and enjoy. Oh, okay. And, and it's like my hand is there. And, uh, you know, in a way that uh, when, I, when I developed multiplayer games, no, my hand is a little bit more hands-off. I'm just trying to create a circumstance so every player's hand can come together. And that's really the difference. It's, it's that change that has ultimately made me walk away from video games because it's so much easier to have a, a thing that evolves that I can share with my wife because the design of a board game is more about us working together in this world as opposed to this whole world is just about me and one player. Well, speaking, that's a good segue because the next that's question what I'm trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> from Jason says, do you think overall 
cooperative board games are better with fewer players or more. Mm. Okay. They're definitely uh, almost always easier with fewer players. Yes. Because uh, that's not always the case, but it does tend to yeah, – that's certainly true for Pandemic. Um, you know, the, the player scaling. Certainly, I think you could objectively say, as a general rule, they are better with more for two reasons. One, chances are the developers really focused on the multiplayer experience, and the, and the two-player experience was kind of a, oh, look, let's make sure it works for two players as well. That's often the case. Sure. And two – I've heard you harp when, on this before. Because <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's changing. The industry is changing, recognizing that, hey, you can start with two – Stefan Feld always starts with the two-player experience because he does all his testing with his wife. And then he expands them to four players, which I maybe that's why I love his game so much. Um, but, oh, what was I just going to say? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the other thing is it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that, hey, why are you playing a cooperative game unless it's to have a social experience with somebody else? And we're social creatures, and of course, the more people you can be social with, the the richer the experience is. It's more fraught with peril because maybe you don't want to interact with everybody at the table. Uh, so there's always that worry, which is why I'm always happy to just be uh, quarantined away in a house because hey, I've got my best friend, my wife, and my number one gaming partner, and she's ready to play games with me anytime. But Strictly speaking, I think as a general rule, if I can put aside the fact that why can't you read my mind like Jen can, it, it, we, we probably could <laughs> have more fun playing with more players. And I would never admit that normally, but only because you're here. Oh, yes. And, and the, the almost 300 people watching. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I like the more better with more, but I think that's because you can have a more exciting moment when you win. So like when something exciting happens, yeah. everyone is like, "Whoa!" I still remember yes. ghost stories where everyone was standing up around the table, so excited at the end, and I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a, definitely a more subdued affair because you're losing that almost party atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. but sometimes that's okay too, right? You know, this uh, hey, let's play this quiet two-player co-op game. Yep. Or not quiet because I can't imagine you play games quietly. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> Yeah. What color do you each play in board games, or do you play any color? Um, oh, I, I I never play any color. Uh, because if, if you end up playing green, you're going to have to swat me away from your pieces all the way through the game, because I just won't be able to help myself. If there's a green player piece on the board, I in my brain cannot deprogram itself. Oh, that's mine. I'll move over there. Rado, you're purple, remember. So it's always any, green. I don't see any I green in that if game. I can't have green, it's yellow or orange. Um... Orange because nobody ever wants to be orange, so I was usually afraid to say that. If you want to be orange, you're fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, orange and brown. Why do they even put those in games? Nobody wants to be Mr. Brown. Yeah, what is, what is with that? Stop making brown a player color. No one wants it. It's always the last one picked. Yeah. They're all uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs fans, and they're just making a reference to Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I like I quote here. Yeah, please don't. I like yeah. purple. <laughs> I like purple best. Um as does I, my wife. So you I and like, my wife would have to fight over purple. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I'm pretty easy. I, I'm basically I do purple, pink, white, black. Oh, did you say orange. your number two is pink? Well, I always oh, try I to pick a color. Pink is basically a, a a less dark purple. Okay. Well, yeah. well, it's not even that. It's just that I pick colors that most people won't pick. Now, in my house, usually one of my kids will pick pink. Um, pink and red go right away. The kids like those. So, Usually end up playing brown when I'm playing with the kids because that's the color nobody wants. Because nobody wants to be brown. 
You know what I like, though? I don't care what color I am in a game as much. If we're playing multiple games in a row, I want to be the exact same color Ah. between games. Because I hate when I'm playing as a red player. We switch and I'm blue. And I just was in that mindset, you're red. And then I will move your pieces and I don't mean to. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm such a scatterbrain, even my first game. Uh, it's it's got to be green, green or go home. Sorry, if you want to play green with me, you can't be green. You just have to. You'll have to deal with it. You have to get one of those passive aggressive shirts I see people wear that says, "If you play blue, I will move your pieces." <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to the uh, Board Game Geek Store, I'm sure. All right, I've been doing a series of uh, videos on my channel called "Games That Changed My Life." Hmm. Yes. And so I this saw question it. is for you. It says, "What game changed your life?" Well, I will avoid the easy answers, the games I made that allowed me to have a career for 20 years in the video game industry. Although, obviously, those would be Siphon Filter and Pitfall, Lost Expedition and Sims and Fable 2 and uh, Brink and all the rest of them. So, uh, humble brag. And I, do, do I, I should limit this to board games, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy. It's easy. We talked about right up front pandemic. Pandemic. Really? Is what is arguably the single most influential piece of entertainment I have ever experienced in my 50 plus years. Because um, I'll just briefly give the story for folks who haven't heard it. I was still, I was in the video game industry. My wife and I, we played cooperative video games all the time. We were about to go on a week long driving trip through France. We had a camper van. And I realized, oh, we're not going to be able to play video games. We're going to be at these campsites. I don't know if there's going to be electricity. What are we going to do? And I remembered as a young child playing, We, uh, my, my family and I, we had a copy of Travel Scrabble, which was brilliant yes. because you're playing and you could like close the clamshell and it would like save your progress. And I thought that'll be perfect. I haven't played Scrabble since I was a little kid. And I go into a friendly local game store, uh, Blue Highway Games in Seattle, not knowing anything existed other than Magic the Gathering and Warhammer. That was what I thought modern gaming was. And I get the Travel Scrabble, I take it up to the shop, and I say, sir, I'd like to buy this. I don't know what the rest is going on in here, what all this stuff is, but can I buy this? And he refused to sell it to me. I will not sell you that. What is it that you want? What are you looking for? And we spent, I mean, he was one of the best clerks ever because he spent 10 minutes talking about what kind of things <laughs> like um you know what are our you know, uh, you know what, what type of people we are and he ultimately came down to right okay you want either red november or pandemic you want oh. one of these two Ooh, i'm glad you got pandemic can you imagine no no you know no offense to red november he suggested that one because hey it's cooperative and it's a tiny box and you're going to be in a camper van so that'll probably make oh, more okay sense. okay that's fair and if i had got and it was a it was a coin toss I could have easily gone with that one. Um, the only reason I went with Pandemic is because my wife, completely unrelated, is hugely into uh, contagion, post-apocalypse. You know, kind of very appropriate for the world we live in today. She's always loved that subject matter. So I thought, oh, she'll probably like this one more. And we took that on our trip. And uh, while we had a great trip, we were seeing Mont Saint-Michel and Paris and all that. The things we remember most about that trip was getting back to our camper van late after we'd seen whatever we saw through the day and under a, a flickery fluorescent light in our camper van playing another game of Pandemic and losing a different way every night. <laughs> Tonight we're going to lose like, to okay, we solved that problem. Oh my gosh, there's this. We ran out of cards this time. We didn't even know that happens. Um, and we came back from that fundamentally transformed. It transformed our entire relationship because we realized, Oh, are there more of these? Is that what all that other stuff was? What's this board game geek website? Oh my gosh. 
And I, I'm sure as many people watching, went on a voyage of discovery that ultimately led to me retiring from the video game industry because I got so into bo board games, video games could not, I, they couldn't entertain me anymore. And so I literally changed careers uh, to become a board game aficionado. And, and since then, I have not played a AAA, I mean, maybe I should get a Switch. I'll, only recently, only within the last couple months have I found video games starting to capture my attention again because I got an Oculus Quest. Got and, it. Okay. And and that's pretty impressive. I'm really surprised by that. Maybe video games can pull me back away from my true love, but pandemic changed my life forever. I like that story. That's good. Yeah. Well, here's here's the next question. Then back to video okay. games. Have either of us played Rock Band? And if so, were you any good? And what part of the band did you play? <laughs> uh, my favorite part was uh, rocking the mic. Oh man. Um, I, I, I'm okay at guitar. I, I, I think the designers made a terrible mistake with the way they implemented drums in that game because you literally really have to play the drums. There's no shortcuts. You are literally playing. You're having to deal with feet and hands at the same time. And it makes me so appreciative of just what skill it takes to be a really amazing drummer. That's the one thing I got out of Rock Band. Uh, I had a friend who was a drummer. I said, oh, Ed, I had no idea. You're a genius because this is hard. I think uh, what it is is yeah. So drums is my favorite part of rock band, actually. Oh, really? It okay. is. I, I really like it because it's physical and I feel like I'm doing it. I think overall people underestimate drummers in general. You just sit there and go, so. that guy just goes boom, 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 boom. You know, Anybody could do that. I could do that. My kid does it all the time. <laughs> no. And you actually have to work up your – I think it's your calf muscle – Mm -hmm. To be able oh, to gosh, yeah. to be able to do that more than maybe five minutes will hurt most people because you don't use that muscle that much. We do yep. this with our hands a lot, so you're probably okay mm -hmm. there. But man, but I really like the drums. So you and I can be in the same rock band then. There you go. But who 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 takes the mic? Uh, you no, you can have the mic. I see. I expect you would probably rock it pretty well too because uh, I. I had to take the mic because I played this a lot with my coworkers at Splash Damage in London. And if anybody else was like, I'm going to Wichita. Or, you know, <laughs> hold on, ready or not. You live for a fight when that's all that you got. Whoa. And I'm like, come on, dude. Shout it. Shout it from the rooftops. Uh, so I always felt like I had to be the outgoing gregarious one. And uh, even though I can't, well, you always make the argument anybody could sing. I might disprove that, but uh, no, no, no. I feel like anybody could sing if they're trained. I feel like you, not okay, not anybody, but most people can. Yeah, it's like anything else. Yep. Okay, here's the question. Okay, how do you manage all your media and backups for your videos? I'll let you take it first because you're crazy about this. Uh, well, we have a server here. I want to say it's. 20 to 30 terabytes, I think. Wow. That's, we just recently got this. And so I know the guys are backing up stuff on that. The, the problem is stuff gets bigger and bigger. Each each person at Dice Tower has a four terabyte or two or two or four terabyte drive. And I I have to be honest, we almost never go to those. So once they're on YouTube, unless YouTube itself crashes, which would yeah. actually cause a problem in humanity since it's about... 70% of uh, internet usage right now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't need to keep them. I mean, I do sometimes, but I don't keep everything because it's on YouTube. 
Are you, you're you're backing up just like the final product, right? You're not backing up the individual elements so that you can. Oh actually, no, like, no 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 no! I, I don't think people realize how much space that is. Like mm-hmm. if if I record it this this uh, on my good camera, it yeah. would probably be, I don't know, thirty terabytes. Yeah, you couldn't keep that. That's way too yeah. much space. It would. Uh, people do not realize how much raw file footage is. It's huge. Oh God! Yeah! 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 Yep. Uh, and, you know, and if you ever download a YouTube video and, oh, that was like 600 megs, it wasn't when you recorded it. It was three <laughs> gigs correct. when you recorded That's correct. it <laughs> before YouTube crunched it down with its compression. See, here's the thing. I'm, I was curious about this because I don't understand why you do it all because my solution is YouTube. Um, I guess I could get a 30 terabyte drive, but why? Why duplicate that effort? Are you doing it for that apocalyptic, oh my God, they shut me down kind of well, thing? Well, it's not so much Are you that. worried about them, about getting one too many flags against you for adult content and they shut down the dice tower? That's, I mean, that's I can't true. The adult, the adult content. Uh, redundancy? Come on now. You've, yeah. you've worked in, in tech and redundancy, right? Well, or, that's the thing. I guarantee you the, uh, the YouTube servers have probably got tons of redundancy built in. I can't That's imagine how many true. whatever goes beyond how many billions of whatever goes beyond terabyte storage they've got. They're backing everything up. But even still, we have a decent amount of pre-generated content like introductions and that sure, that takes sure, up sure. a lot the different uh things that we build. There's so much of that uh, you made just, a little intro for this show, which I was I was so tickled. I had no well, idea you were going to do that because of course, I'm the opposite of you. I'm very Hey, I'll just hold this sign up in front of the camera and say, welcome, everybody. <laughs> well, Roy Canada has built everything for this show. We actually, when you see us later, there's like an overlay for it. Roy built that, too. So, okay. uh, um, Well, he's that, doing great work. Well done, Roy. I think we all salute you. Wherever in the last you. three or four years, we've been able to do live stuff that looks pretty good. Like, I'm actually using my little camera here because yeah. the amount of work it is to hook up the big camera and also... There's a there's a chance that at some point you and I are be doing this from I might be in a small room somewhere so I want to keep the same camera. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but I, I like the concept of the live streaming. It, it definitely saves us some work in the sense that we don't have to upload it to the internet. But then you're also at the mercy of the of the internet connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for storage, YouTube stores it. If it all disappears one day. Hey, you know what? That means all my really horrible early videos that I was filming with an iPhone, they suddenly disappear and I don't have to be embarrassed about them anymore, quite frankly. Because nothing's worse than when... Well, one of my most viewed videos of all time is my Castles of Burgundy run-through. And the problem with that was I had filmed it in the evening. It was starting to get dark. I filmed it. I made a huge blunder. And I, okay, I got to pull this down immediately, like 10 minutes after I put it up. And I'm going to record it right now and get it right back up. And it had gotten so dark that I filmed it with the flashlight on my iPhone as the only source of light. So it is literally one of the worst videos looking videos you will ever see on YouTube. Um, and, but it's one of my, if, if people keep going and finding it and they're like, Oh man, if that just disappeared someday, that would be okay. If people would stop watching that. All righty. Well, that's, that's a fast hour here, folks. The time goes by quickly, but we'll be back yes. again on Tuesday on the Dice Tower channel and then back Correct. again here next Friday. Um, before we go, any videos that people should be looking for coming out from you soon? Um, well, we talked about uh, this. Of course, my Frosthaven video. Actually, I, like three games are launching on Kickstarter next week, uh, all on the same day. And two of them are in big trouble because they're going up against Frosthaven. Uh, let me give a little bit of a shout out, because everybody knows that's coming. If my computer will wake up. Come on, give me my list. Wake up, computer! 
It's Wake coming. Up. It's coming. You can do it, Microsoft Word. Office 365, activate. And let's see. So, yeah, next week, Frosthaven comes out the same day as Squire for Hire, which I told you about in last episode. That's going to be on Kickstarter. Wonderful little micro game. And also on the same day, Planet Unknown. Do you realize, Tom, I would love to go back and redo that top 10 uh, most influential games of the last decade with you because I was very remiss in not talking about Patchwork. Patchwork, which has now actually <laughs> directly led to so many polyomino games. Everybody's chasing that polyomino tiger. And um, I got to say, Planet Unknown, I think, is one of the best ones I've seen yet. Imagine a really simplified, streamlined uh, terraforming Mars that is all about uh, laying tiles and, you know, building your engine. It's phenomenal. And I hope it finds an audience seeing as how it's coming out the same day as Frosthaven. I think it can, because not everyone's going to want to get Frosthaven, too. So we'll we'll see. All righty. Well, other videos are coming out on our channels. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much, Rado, as always. Next time, a different console system. No, we'll talk about board games. We'll, we'll promise. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a good idea. All right, well, talk to you soon, Tom. All righty. See you all. Bye-bye.